Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. I'll play you. For what? Your podcast. <laughs> hey, David. Yeah. All's fair in love and podcasting. That's right. That's right. This is the start of a new miniseries. Very often, we mimic the sound of, of a baseball game when we're doing that. Oh, sure. Right. Crack, Crack of the bat. <laughs> yeah. Hit the yeah. stands. Roar no. of the crowd. Well, the crowd might be roaring, but this time the ball you're hearing is doing a little bit of this. Dribble, 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 dribble. Yeah, that's that's what it sounds like. Dribble, 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 so the, 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 the sneakers are squeaking on the court. Squeak, squeak, squeak. Ladies and gentlemen. slam dunk. Come on and just slam. And welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm joking, boy, of yes. course. I'm joking, of course, because I am not much of a, a sporto. I'm Griffin Newman, but I have I'm a David co-host. Sims. And my yes. David Sims, big, big basketball fan. Love basketball. Not and love I, and basketball. Well, and I, I was going to say, and I basketball love. Yeah, sure. Right. That's what makes us a good team. And this is a podcast called Blank Check. It's about filmographies, mm-hmm. directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they dribble, 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 baby. Yeah. They bounce back and forth, but like a ball between the hand and the court. Yep. Sorry. Yes. Between the hand and the court. What is a career in the entertainment industry? If not the dance between a hand and a court. Okay. You just keep Ups bouncing. That's what you're baby. saying. Right, right, right. This is a right. new main series on the films Gina Prince Bythewood. We're starting out with her debut film, Love and Basketball. Now, I'm not a basketball head. David, no. you are. Yeah. What what Love I, you call yourselves basketball heads, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the term. Producer of Ben. Everyone calls themselves that. Producer Ben. Yeah. Basketball. Yeah or nay. I used to watch as a kid when Jordan played. So you were a cash fan. I was, I'm, I'm like a basic basketball fan, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when he retired, I kind of fell off. I think then Iverson was kind of my guy there for a minute. I collected basketball cards, but yeah, it was just sort of more of a thing I was into as a kid. Were you, were you a Nets fan? You're a Jersey boy. I was. They were terrible. Did you care about the but Nets? I would go they were to the bad games. when you were yeah. a kid. They, yeah. It was like $7. You could just show up. Yeah. It was yep. like when we went to go see Taruk the first flight and they yeah. gave us and they front just put row us seats, court side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And paid us money. Um, yes. Introduce our guest, but also what's the title of this miniseries? You said we were starting a new miniseries. I was talking you have a around great title it. For it. The name of this miniseries is Pod and Basket Cast. That's right. Wow. Rolls off the tongue. The way dribbles. It, off the top. Dribble. It dribbles off the top. He really landed that three. I landed that three. Our guest today knows about basketball, knows about comedy, knows about podcasting. That's what I call a hat trick. Does that apply in basketball or only hockey? No. Okay. <laughs> Just hockey. Hockey or soccer. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> from the flagrant ones, 
writer for um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You've seen him on The Good Place. And of course, most importantly, chief on Comedy Bang Bang, ladies and gentlemen, Carl Tart. Hell yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. You know, comedy people know me as Carl Tart, chief, all those credits, yep. but basketball people know me as seven foot four center out of the University of Virginia in 1984, Ralph Sampson. Of course. Wow. Yeah. 83. Excuse me. I forgot the year I got drafted. But that I want to appreciate y'all. And I want to say thank you for bringing me on to talk about such a, a great film, a great film time. that I celebrate. I just realized that I'm wearing a USC shirt. Oh, uh, yes. I pulled this shirt out of the hamper this morning to uh, jump on a Zoom meeting. Because that's, uh, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. These Ralph Sampson went to Virginia, I believe. He so. did. He did. Yeah. University of Virginia. Yes, 1983. Of yes, of course. I know this. Yeah. But of course, Q, uh, Quincy McCall is mm-hmm. an, a USC alum, as yeah. is Monica Wright. So it was very appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this, this movie. I can't wait to get into it with y'all. Now you you grew up in the South and then in California. Yeah, right? I moved yeah. to Los Angeles when I was uh, nine years old, and I moved right into the area of USC, oh, man. South so Central. So you were Monica. Yeah, coming yeah. of age at the same ages as these characters. Yes, yes. My mother lives in the in the area that Quincy and Monica lived in. Ladera Heights is where my mother currently lives right now. Uh, it, for I and I don't know who this would apply to, but if any listener. Of blank check does not already listen to Doughboys. Uh, your uh, Roscoe Chicken and Waffles episode, Great uh, episode made me cry when you relay the story of going there for the first time. Oh, hey, wow. I, I love long stories. I love people taking a lot of runway to get to a big finish. And that was <laughs> one of those stories where it went on so long that I was enthralled, but I couldn't remember how we got there. And then when it came back around to, and that's why I chose this restaurant for this episode, I think I, I shed like a tear just in sort of like appreciation more than anything. Wow. Of the journey wow. we had made. Ladera Heights is near Westchester, right? Because I have family who lives in Westchester. And anytime I mention that to anyone who's not from like LA, they're like, there's no Westchester in LA. There is a Westchester. Uh, and we've all been to it. It's where the airport is. The airport is considered right. Westchester. They, they live like right under the airport and their house has like special windows that block out the sound of the, the planes. Sound, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Ladera Heights is not far from there. So there's uh, Windsor mm-hmm. Hills, uh, Ladera Heights, and then you got Inglewood to the south right there. Right, you got Inglewood. Westchester right. is right to the west of that. And uh, above that is Culver City. West Culver LA. City, right. Yeah. yeah. But like, and Inglewood is like, that's where the whole new Clippers thing is going to be, right? Like where yeah. they're building this brand new basketball arena. Yeah, Inglewood, Engle, the city of champions. You got the forum there. You got the new Ram Stadium, right. SoFi Stadium. That is SoFi um, Stadium. Apparently, sure. according to the NFL, it's going to have some fans. Maybe not in LA, though. <laughs> but they are going to play in front of people. Did y'all hear that? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course. They're in certain, and. In, in that seems states. like a conspiracy theory to me at this point. I find that highly suspicious. In, in certain states, they were like, fans are welcomed to come and watch and cheer on your Miami Dolphins. Watch them go 0-18. I was texting David about this the other day, but as someone who does not watch uh, televised sports at all, I think I am probably going to watch the first batch of games uh, happening in like the Disney Dome or whatever it's the, called, the, 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 the NBA bubble games. I am just, out. I am so 
excited to see what those look like and more importantly right. sound how, like. how they stage it how they right how, how much yes. they let us hear i yeah. think it's gonna look like summer league which i always right. am very excited for and i watch like the first five to ten minutes of a game be like okay i'm bored <laughs> yeah you're, i'm always so pumped for summer league because i want to see zion right you know you want to see like yeah. some new player who's going to come in you watch him for five minutes you realize that everyone else is like players the knicks like wavered two years ago and you're like oh right okay well yeah it's not the game that's necessarily boring it's the uh, so like those games are usually the big premier games are usually the, at thomas the stakes and are low yeah right. yeah, yeah, the, yeah the vegas games are kind of fun to watch because they feel kind of right. real but the, the ones that are just in a gym are the weird. Orlando games. Oh, the Orlando yeah. Summer League. Pretty rough. I don't want to see the Pacers play against the Magic in Orlando. Like, well, that's what we're going to see, except it's going to be like the NBA finals. And it's going to be super weird. That's what interests me is like, it's going to look and sound like that, but it's going to have the stakes of a finals game. Like psychologically, how is everyone on the court going to behave? Like the the thing that was so fascinating to me was watching. Like I feel like the first six weeks of late night hosts trying to do their shows at home or remotely or whatever, everyone's timing and rhythm was off. And like all of those people have experience doing comedy in front of a live audience, and but also doing it with no audience. But it was just like they were so tuned into how they did their shows where they sat in relation to the camera, when they took their pauses, that like the first couple of weeks of like last week tonight, John Oliver just like couldn't speak properly. Yeah. And I couldn't watch him properly. Right. Right. <laughs> and now it feels like everyone's like adjusted. I want to sure. see the couple of weeks where it's like, oh, this, this isn't practice. This isn't summer games. These are like real games with real stakes, but no one's in the audience and everyone can hear everything that's happening. Unfortunately, there's no time for that. There's no time to get your footing. It's, yeah. it's so quick. Like they're, they're going to be getting, they're going to be practicing for the, they start practicing like tomorrow or next week. Like, and yeah, it's really, really soon. Yeah. So the, and, and, and the first game's on July 30th or whatever, yep. but I will say what is, what I think it's going to be like is, is something that's actually really fun and intimate to watch Griffin. And that's, like open run it's gonna be like pickup and these guys who are pros are extremely competitive and are extremely like into pickup games so I, when yes. i was a kid we used to go uh, uh play pickup at ucla and we would have to go there before like the college older college guys former college players current pros and like retired pros would come and watch and i've seen some amazing pickup games and in the men's gym at ucla with like some crazy like players like and their brothers who are also almost just as good as them. It's kind of like how people talk about the famous space jam practice gym, right? Where like yeah. Jordan is shooting that movie, but then in the off hours he has to train and all these other players are there and they're just like going at each other. Yeah. That's what it's going to be or like. like the famous Olymp the dream team game. Like, like this is all in the last dance. That's probably why it's all on my mind, but you know, like where it's like, yeah, they just like, you know, they divvied it up, the, the, the like 12 best American players, basically, and they just went at each other. I think they should go shirts versus skins. Oh, absolutely. Yes. People <laughs> yes, don't they talk should. about this with the production of Space Jam, but like, you know, famously, Jordan had the gym constructed and they would fly in top NBA players so that he could like, you know, stay sharp in between uh, scenes and shooting days and whatever. Bugs had a similar thing where he made them construct uh, a forest. And they threw in different cartoon uh, hunters. 
and he would have to uh, get I'm the better sorry, of them. Carl. I've heard about he, that. No, I've heard about this. You I see, have, I'm not joking. Carl's heard about this. I've heard about this, and I heard there were like all types of uh, carrots all around. Yes. And they, they flew the forest in from Albuquerque. Absolutely. And like, diff- see, I'm not joking, David. They had different lady outfits for him. They had different gadgets, different tricks. Like it looks like a birthday cake, but the candle is a, a stick of dynamite. Yeah. You have to stay sharp. You have a lot of downtime on a film shoot. Carl, who's huh? your team? Who's your NBA team? I am a proud and loyal supporter of the Los Angeles Clippers. Oh, hey, that's that's awesome. You've yeah. gotten, it's been a good year. Yeah. No, it hasn't. I mean, no, it's been a weird, <laughs> horrible year. <laughs> hasn't been a good uh, year. Well, I'm a Knicks fan, and the Knicks were not even invited to Orlando. Be a nor Brooklyn should fan, they have been. Be a Brooklyn fan, man. Well, I live in Brooklyn. Um, right. I've been a Knicks fan my whole life. The Knicks are what got me into sport in general like you know little kid on the couch watching those like Ewing Knicks teams that's like my first experience as a sports fan but the Knicks are horrible they're owned by a terrible person they behave in an embarrassing manner and they don't they're not good and I live in Brooklyn and I only go to Nets games really because they're cheaper and I can walk to the arena so at what point am I like should I just like admit to myself that I'm a Nets fan you know, you sound like a pretty reasonable person. So I'm going to ask you. Okay, so Laker fans are are can you can you cuss on this podcast? Oh yes. yeah, you can say okay. whatever you want about Lakers fans. Uh, <laughs> Laker fans <laughs> are shit bags to Clipper fans. <laughs> mm. Yes, yes, they're terrible to us. They're terrible. They always have some, especially when we're good. So for the past ten years, we've been the better team in Los Angeles. That is not. Correct, I, I am. I've been a, a fan of this team since I was nine years old. I am not going to say that this is a Clipper town. It is not. The numbers no. prove that. They prove that. And like the Clippers were better than the Lakers for years, and it didn't really seem to move the needle all it, that much. It did right. not move the needle, except for the for the millions of people who migrate to this city every ten years are right. now support them, but they also still support their home team. So it's like, right. you know, I'm from St. Paul, so I'm a Timberwolves fan. Wolves, but I like fan, the Clippers right, because yeah. I hate the Lakers. And, you know, right. and so like I'm like, I, I even have two teams, but I was a Clipper fan before my second team. I'm a, I'm a Pelicans fan, too. Uh, okay. Okay. But I Clippers is my I'm like 70, 75, 25 when it comes. I to got that. you. Sure, 80, 20, sure. honestly. But th- they're so bad. To, are the Knicks fans that bad to Brooklyn no. fans? No, they just ignore them. They're just they just think that they're cute or whatever. Whatever. That's right. what it used to be with us. That's what it used to yeah. be with us. They just didn't bother us. And then we started right. getting good. And then and now they're right. good, too. It's possible that the right if the Nets are good, they got KD, whatever, you know, if they have a sustained run, maybe the Knicks fans get more aggro about it. But it is very difficult to pretend that there is any authority in being a Knicks fan. That's it what I was going to say. It is a like, terrible, my terrible outside perspective is that every Knicks fan I know has a Charlie Brown complex. Like I, I've I, never I don't know what you very, could be arrogant about. Right. There's I've never had a prideful Knicks fan. Because like the Laker fans can, they are so many dynasties and eras and like, yeah. you know, they, they have definitely watched that team be good. Like the Knicks were basically less good when I was a little kid, a little baby hairless boy. And they didn't win anything. That's the other thing. And problem. they didn't win anything. Anyway. Were, and e- right. And even in the 90s, they were like the fifth best team in the NBA or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. was about their ceiling. They haven't won since what? 1973? 73. Or 70. So, 70 and 73. That's the, you yeah. know, like... 
Earl the Pearl and, you know, Walt and Clyde and Bill Phil Bradley, Jackson. Phil Jackson. Yeah. Love um, going but, to the games, though. Wait, what? Madison going Square to Garden. Games? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Madison it's Square Garden is so, great. It's yeah. so great. Yeah. But it's usually great if you go to see the Knicks get thrashed by some right. other by, like, a really team good team <laughs> that's like, oh, we're in the garden. This rules. Like, let's totally humiliate the Knicks and yeah. put on a show. Like, this Hell will yeah. be great. I mean, like, I'm just sad. It's like I've I had to try and talk myself into loving Carmelo Anthony. Like, I, you know, sort of got my hopes up about Porzingis, and then that all went to shit. Like, it's like this. My, it's just sad. It's a pathetic life that I lead. But like for the last 30, 40 years, I feel like the Washington Generals have won more games at Madison Square Garden <laughs> than the Knicks. Wow. Wow. I had to That's Google a, that to make but, sure I had my <laughs> reference correct. I did. <laughs> so, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> pivoting to love and basketball did you see this movie when it came out carl like when did you first see because like this is a pretty pivotal basketball movie yeah i saw it in theaters uh yeah. and it, it became one of those classics that just that black families just have on tape and on dvd yeah so it's, it's one of those ones you just pop in when you just want to like when the cable is out or it's a rainy day it's a rainy day movie for sure it's a classic film it is, is it the best basketball movie? No. What no. do you think the best basketball movie is? Oh, yeah. I would say Bad As I Want to Be, the Dennis Rodman story. It's <laughs> 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 a good thing. I mean, that was a book first, because that's the book where he is naked on a motorcycle and there's <laughs> a basketball in between his legs. Mm-hmm. I remember the book cover very well. His penis is what's keeping the air in the basketball. Did y'all know that? <laughs> it actually has it's a double function, it. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But David, you say that like that means something. Many of the greatest uh, works in all of American cinema were bo- uh, books first. That's true. You're, it's a good point. How about He Got Game? He Got Game uh, is a great movie. He Got Game is all over the place. It is. Wow. Yeah, I, it's not. The it's not the greatest basketball movie. The thing about He Got Game that's weird is that Ray Allen is pretty great in it. Pretty like pretty ju- phenomenal. as an actor. Yeah. yeah. Like w- which is doesn't make a lot of sense given that Ray Allen seems like a total weirdo. And that he never acted again. Ray Allen. And never right gave yeah. a performance nah. before or since. I'm gonna have to disagree with y'all on that one. You just really? you think Ray Allen's trash in He Got Game? Yeah, he he couldn't act in that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy Ray Allen's performance as Jesus Shuttlesworth in He Got Game. The best acting performance by a basketball player has to be Shaq in Blue Chips. That's up there. Shaq in Blue Chips, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Airplane. I'm trying to think of great basketball player performances. People give LeBron train wreck, but I think, oh, I mean, well, hold on. Wait a second. Blake Griffin on Broad City was, he was awesome. He was actually truly funny. Yes. LeBron in Trainwreck, he he was like very poised. I feel like it was it, he. It seemed like it came very naturally to him. That's like he's, I'll say he's that. Likable in it, yeah. Right, he's incredibly likable. Oh, Rick Fox. Rick Fox always good in everything he does. Yes, yes. Rick Fox is the type where you're like, he's maybe a better guy playing a basketball player than he actually was a basketball player, and he wasn't a bad basketball player. He was a fine basketball player. As, Rick Fox is just so beautiful. That you have to like, you have to watch him in anything and everything he does. Yeah, he has very soulful eyes. When you yeah. see a man like Rick Fox, who's that talented, it's like, hey man, I'm sorry, dude, but I'm gonna have to shoot you. 
<laughs> you, you, you had a great jaw too. He's like a good, good smile. An amazing jaw. Like when you look, yeah. when you see Rick Fox coming and it's like, Hey man, if I'm walking with my girl and Rick Fox is down the street, like we, we crossing the street. Well, when you see him like on the bench with Kobe, he look, it looks like there's an actor who's pretending to be a basketball player, <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. know, like who's like doing a week or something. Yeah. With the Lakers. No, sorry. Go ahead, Griff. No, he's also just done so much acting now and has right. done it for a while that I don't even think about him having been a basketball player first. But that also speaks to uh, my frame of reference. He's a huge contributor on championship teams. It's that's the wildest thing. He's not, he wasn't a right. slouch. He like Rick he Fox was part was of those baller. Kobe teams. Yeah. Yeah. It, and he is so gorgeous. He's, very he's, he's a pretty person. Yes. I'm sorry, uh, man. If he's coming, I got to beat him with a baseball bat. I got to, he's, <laughs> he's got to go. I feel that like, do you ever Carl, like go to auditions and like, usually like, you know, if you're a comedy person, you come from a comedy background, you go to audition, you see a lot of people, you know, from like the comedy scene. And then there's one person there who's just like an actor, like someone yeah. who got into acting because they look perfect. Yeah. And you just, oh, yeah. you just get angry. You know what? It's, it's not always, fair, but you get angry at them. Here's how that goes at the at the black guy auditions. Mm-hmm. So you got a room full of comedy guys, and we all know each other. Yeah, and you're all just of, catching up. It's and, like very and, informal, yeah. like right. Yeah, it's it's not even it's not even the black thing. It's it's more of the comedy thing than it is the black thing. But there is the kindred, like we're all black comedians type situation. And we're all up in there just joking, shooting the shit, right. casting this directors me, coming out. Little, like, little scrawny white guys with glasses, anemic looking <laughs> character actors yeah, yeah. Uh, with boyish bodies. Yeah. Because you guys keep it down out here. We're just trying to. I'm like, yeah, 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 <laughs> right. yeah. So anyway, I was talking to that bitch and I was like, yeah, no, no, no. And then there's just this one guy who's just laughing at everybody's jokes being like, ha ha, man, y'all crazy, man. It's like, what the fuck are you doing here, Gorjo? And then I feel like increasingly that guy gets the part these days. Of course he does. Because yeah. he stole all of our jokes in the waiting room. Right. <laughs> he was just collecting. Um, I feel like I saw this movie fairly early because uh-huh. my brother was such a big basketball fan that anytime there was any sort of basketball movie, because there weren't too many in the 90s and like early 2000s, he would rent it. It was like an immediate first week new release rental. And sure. I was excited that the TV was being used to watch a movie about basketball rather than a basketball game. Like if my uh, brother right, was watching right. basketball on the main TV, I had to figure out something else to do. If he was watching a basketball movie, I could get down with it. I, I could lock in. I would say the 90s basketball output is mostly movies that are kind of about like ego and stress. You know, you got like white man can't jump. You got he got game. You've got blue chips. Six man. I was going to say that that was his number one six man. I probably have seen five or six times because he probably saw it 15 times. You have Space Jam, but that's sort of its own thing. You have above the rim, right? Like they're, they're kind of like they're not like this. This is a very like emotional and like fleshed out characterization, you know, like the, the, and whereas like a lot of like blue chips I love. But like that's like a movie about like sweat and ego and well, corruption. You're, you're forgetting one other big one. If you're talking about more emotional, sort of fleshed out character based stories from the 90s, you're forgetting about Slam Dunk Ernest. Uh, Sure. Okay. I haven't seen Slam Dunk Ernest. A canonical basketball film. Vern. They're Um, having a huge auto sale down at Cerritos Auto Square, Vern. That's my, uh, what's his name? 
Uh, Ernest. Ernest? Yeah. yeah. Jim yeah, Varney. No. Yes. Yes. Jim Varney. There he is. Um, no, I was going to say this movie like stood out to me watching it with my brother who would have been seven or eight at the time. And I would have been like uh, 11 or 12, probably, uh, that this was a very different basketball movie while also satisfying his desire. Because he would so often like if he heard a movie had any degree of basketball in it, he would rent it. So to have a movie yeah. come out that is basketball based pretty much from beginning to end. It never moves very far away from basketball and is good, but was also kind of adult. Like post this, there's I feel like there haven't been a lot of good basketball movies in years until very recently because there's like Glory Road and Coach Carter. Like there's the sort of like inspirational kind of true story basketball movies. Yeah. Which are like, okay, those movies are all okay, And they're kind of they're very coachy, too. They're all about the coach. Yeah. But like, has there been a good basketball movie? I I like like I like High Flying Bird like last, you know, but that's. That's about like the business of basketball, right? Like I liked the way back, but that was like a real throwback to just sort of like that was just a drunkard movie. It was a good drunkard movie. I didn't watch either of those. Sure. Uh, I don't think there's been. I feel like sports. There hasn't been. Like sports movies are are tough, man. We we had Griffin yeah. on. Flagrant wants to talk about Draft Day, which is one of my favorite movies. Like I would love to see a really good sports movie, but I don't feel like it would. First of all, they're always trying to make movies do well internationally. And so a yes. basketball yes. movie is not going to so do well internationally. No, nope. certainly not. Yeah. Back then, maybe now you could sell it more, but like, I feel like in 2000, like this movie just didn't play internationally. Yeah. My dream is to have uh, a movie about the eighties and basketball. When you hear about the Showtime Lakers, which there is a TV show coming out, about that on Showtime. And then you hear mm-hmm. about like the traveling cocaine circus of the Bulls yep. of 84. Like, I want to know what those guys, like just a bunch of six, eight dudes partying in, in Lycra because it's the eighties. Right. And, and like cocaine is just sort of like this fun new thing that everyone's trying. Yeah. Like it's no, yeah. There, there is not yet the lesson that's been learned of like, well, actually maybe you want to like take it easy on that stuff. Yeah, I, I, like there has to be a way that that movie can be done really well without people being like, ew, sports. Is this a, also that was the era ball? when like they were just like smoking cigarettes and like eating cheeseburgers and like on the bus and then like they would go halftime. play basketball. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it was like like Larry Bird, like right. There's that story where like there was that player they had to trade because he would just dr- drink so much with Larry Bird that it would affect his performance. Yeah. And once they traded that player, Larry Bird got better. Yeah, they were just popping open Coors Lights at halftime. Right. Uh, can I read something insane to you guys? No. So I was because we're having this. Co- oh, oh, I'm sorry, Carl. I'm sorry for no, even suggesting it. Um, <laughs> Uh, we were having this conversation trying to like think of uh, big, big sports movies. So I just I, I said, let me Google the highest grossing sports films. OK, here is what Wikipedia lists in order as the top 10 highest grossing sports films of all time with a okay. very, very liberal definition of sports. I was about film. to say, I imagine this is OK. Go ahead. Number one highest grossing sports film of all time. Furious Seven. There's what, what, what sports are in that motor racing. racing? Yes. No, there's no racing. Okay, now let me speed round this because I bet you can guess what several of the other top films <laughs> okay, in the town are right. going to be. Okay, <laughs> number two, The Fate of the Furious. Number three, sport. Number three, sport movie, 
The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Number four, Fast and Furious 6. Number <laughs> Hunger five, Games are not a sport. Excuse me. It says here very clearly, sport is Battle Royale. <laughs> and your number five movie is The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1. Your number oh six is God. The Hunger Games. Your number seven film, your number seven film is neither part of the Fast and Furious franchise nor the Hunger Games franchise. And they listed as representing two different sports. Do you have any guess, David? No, I don't have any guess. Forrest Gump, American Guessing. football and ping pong. <laughs> oh, I was going to say Invictus. <laughs> sure, rugby. Number eight, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. Number nine, Fast Five. And the 10th highest grossing sports film of all time, Casino Royale. <laughs> oh my gosh, because of gambling? Because of poker. <laughs> yes, they listed as, Carl, they listed as gambling. Oh then, my gosh. Then you have the Cars films, Gladiator, Alita Battle Angel, Slumdog doesn't count. Wait, these Slumdog Wait, Slum... Millionaire at number 16, the sport because, is what, game, game shows. Show. Yes. <laughs> I would say it's it's not until number 22 is The Blind Side and number 23 is Rocky 4. Right. Those are Those the first are two that I would movies. say are proper sports <laughs> right. movies. Right. I remembered a basketball movie. Carl, did you see Uncle Drew? That yeah. is a recent basketball movie. Yeah, I saw Uncle Drew. Yes. Uh, Uncle Drew was silly, but it was at least a basketball movie. It was fun. Five five. It was fun. Yeah. I can understand why yes. a lot of people wouldn't go see Uncle Drew, but for the kids and for basketball fans, like it was a fun, it was a fun experience. And it was for a perfectly a, fun aficionados experience. of old age makeup, like myself, that was yeah, a huge which release. It had incredible amount. Oh, yes. unbelievable! So much a, an embarrassment of riches, an embarrassment of wrinkles. There you go. When did you see Love and Basketball, David? I saw it at a sleepover when I was a teenager. Probably, you know, around when it came out, um, because it was a movie about love and basketball, and so my entire sleepover cadre could agree upon it. Mm. And I remember thinking it was pretty good. Um, and then like, I don't know, maybe catching it again in college and being like, this thing's kind of like, I, cause like, I feel like for a while, like a lot of those teen romance movies that I saw, like from that era, from when I was a teenager, they all just sort of went in one basket where I was like, yeah, they were all okay. And I remember seeing this again and being like, this is like an insanely thoughtful movie. This is definitely like better than like Save the Last Dance. Like I'm trying to think of like movies I watched at sleepovers, right? Like tell me, give me some more. Give me like teen dramas, teen romantic dramas. <sighs> Fuck, A Walk to Remember. Sh sure, sure. Yeah, that's more like, right, with the tragic uh, tinge. I feel a lot of them. after. Uh, yes. Uh, summer Catch. Uh, yeah, summer. That, wow, that's a sports movie. I have seen Summer Catch. They play Summer Catch on the MLB Network all the time. Really? Like, Do you think the oh, MLB Network watch. bought it for literally a hundred dollars? They had to. Have. <laughs> Can we have the rights? You'll be watching like a really dope interview on like doping, and then they're like coming up after right. this doping interview. <laughs> Summer catch, <laughs> summer catch, and then we're gonna play it backwards right after. You won't even <laughs> notice. Um, so I had seen, and then I think, um, it had been years though when I watched this. Even though I remembered the ending and I remembered the general gist of it, like it had been years since I'd seen this film in full. Yeah, I I texted you a couple weeks ago. I was watching it. It was on some streaming platform. And I was watching it and I texted you about how good it was. And you were like, fuck, it is really good. And then we yeah. both went like, wait a second. What if we just did 
Gina Prince Bythewood because we're both because well, she has the new movie coming out. She has a new movie coming out. Right. She has like a yeah. big action movie coming out. She has four films, uh, which she should have made more films by this point, but it fit in well to our schedule. And we just like uh, committed to do it. Also, uh, Beyond the Lights, we talk about as being one of our first date movies. It's one of the first movies we saw together. Yeah. But it was it was that thing of me watching it and texting you and going like, this mm-hmm. movie's pretty fucking perfect. Yeah. And then us within like half an hour just going like, let's just do it. Let's just do all her movies. Well, I and I checked with a critic who had seen The Old Guard. I was like, well, right. let me let me see what the word is on The Old Guard. That which was is our this one new movie thing. she's got coming up, Carl. Yeah. Um, uh, which is going to be on Netflix in a couple of weeks. Uh, and he was like, oh, it, it's great. And then I got a screener and I was like, oh, this thing rules. And I don't know. It all I still sense. haven't seen it and I am jealous. Well, can I reveal something else, Griffin? Yes. Yesterday, I interviewed Gina Prince Bythewood. That's oh, right. Wow. I called her up on the telephone. I called, talked to her about Did the old guard. tell her that we were about to do this? Did you pull any scoops out of her? No. You know, I did talk to her for quite a while. You got to get her on the show. I can ask. David's always awesome. so fucking professional. Whenever I ask him to do stupid things in interviews, he <laughs> refuses to do them. It's almost like I have a job to do. I know. And he like separates the two and he doesn't want like one area of his life to completely corrupt all other areas. <laughs> He's like a responsible, well-balanced person. But, but I mean, it was just, it's just that thing, especially in quarantine, it's kind of been a little easier to just be like, Hey, can I, you know, chat to this filmmaker on the phone. Cause it's like, they don't have to do a press tour where they're like flying all over the world and, you know, yeah. doing junkets where a zillion people are like, you know, coming in the room one after the other. So like, you know, I talked to Spike Lee, I talked to John Stewart. I like, it's just it, Judd, Judd Apatow. And now Gina, like these people who have cool movies coming out this summer. Now I want to say humble brag, but this actually would be an instance of you humble bragging. So I can't really say it now. I see. Cause you can only say it if it's, doesn't apply at all if it's right right. okay um Um, she comes out of tv she has a long resume writing for tv yeah she uh gina prince bythewood she worked on a different world did she write on fresh Uh, prince she did not write on fresh prince i don't believe she wrote on felicity and was a producer on felicity i want to get the full Uh, list here because she worked Uh, on like five or six different shows before she got to make a movie. Well, she when she was just Gina Prince, uh, she worked on a different world. She meets her husband on the writing staff of that show. Um, you know, her husband, Reggie Rock Bythewood. She did work on Felicity. That's the only other big show she worked South on. Central, she worked on a, Sweet Justice. She directs right. a TV special. South Central special. only ran for a season. She directs a TV special called What About Your Friends, which I'm trying to track down because it looks like it was released on DVD at some point. But it uh-huh. seems hard to find. Which is, I think that's about like girls in high school preparing for college. That's like a sort of like TV movie ish. Trying thing. to imagine yep. what the rest of their life is going to be. Um, and sh- she had made some shorts. Mm-hmm. And then she writes this script for Love and Basketball. But let's say very pointedly, she was a- an athlete when she was younger. She was primarily focused on basketball. Yes. Uh, for most of her life growing up until she went to college and then got into film and then ended up becoming a filmmaker. But did uh, she play at USC? I think she, she did. No, she no? Went, no, no. She went to UCLA where she went to film school and was a competitive track runner. Like, okay. you know, she was, she was into athletics. Um, uh, but she, you know, whatever she, yeah, she took that film school track. But she played basketball throughout high school. 
Sure. Uh, I, I, ha- yeah, we're, I'm sure, I'm sure that's true. I'm not, I'm not. Um, Wait, I just you interviewed her, interview. David. You interviewed yeah, David. her. I did, I did interview her and I did talk to her about Love and Basketball at the end, but I was mostly talking to her about this new action movie she made with Charlie's Theron with, you know, all kinds of fucking cool action in it. Monster and how much two? we love comic books. Yeah, she made Monster 2. <laughs> she's back. <laughs> they tried to execute her, but she's back. <laughs> Uh, um, she didn't have any directing credits except for a school break special. Yeah. And she brings this script to Mike DeLuca who works at new line. And he said, you can cast an unknown for the female lead, but you have to cast Omar Epps. Well, you're getting ahead of yourself. I am not getting ahead of myself. I promise you. I just but listened to a whole commentary track, but please regale oh, me sure, with sure, the story. Sure. All about right. All right. You then you go ahead. Cause this is, she does the Sundance lab before that. That's right. You're right. Of course. I forgot about the Sundance lab, right? She, she develops the script. Right. Sundance. She's working right. on this right. script while working as a TV staff writer. Then she takes the script, submits it to the Sundance lab, works on it. There does a reading there. Mm-hmm. That reading was Mackay Pfeiffer and Sana Lathan. And I love Mackay Pfeiffer. That was not supposed to represent who was going to do the movie, but a lot of big actors do Sundance readings. Um, it was supposed to be someone else who got sick like the day before. And Gina and her husband were friends with Stan Lathan, who is Sana Lathan's father, who is like a legendary TV producer and director um, going back to the 70s and 80s. And he, I think, recommended his daughter... She flew in, did it, did a good job, but Gina was so insistent on the most important thing in this movie is that the lead actress actually plays basketball believably. So I want to hire a completely unknown woman. I want to hire someone first as a basketball player and then teach her how to act, which then New Line said, because Spike Lee, his... 40 Acres and a Mule, representatives from his company were at the Sundance reading. They said we would be interested in this. Spike Lee signed on as a producer. He produces they it. They brought yeah. it to New Line. New Line said, we're fine with you hiring an unknown as long as you can get Omar Epps. They insisted on Omar Epps. He was the guy at that moment. I'm trying to think of exactly where Omar Epps was that they were so um, into Omar Epps. Was this before but, or after uh, In Too Deep? <sighs> Isn't it think? right after? Yes. Let's see. He had done that other cop movie. Yeah, it's right after In Too Deep. He'd done The Wood. He had done he The Wood. He did The Mod Squad, which was a bomb. Scream 2. Uh, he's in Scream. He had done an arc on yeah. ER. Of course, I, Juice. Yeah. He, you know, right. Juice, yeah. higher learning. Uh, yeah, I guess he'd just been around. I guess, right. He's just like a proven guy. Ma- yeah. Major League. Yeah. The Before I Let Go video by Blackstreet. He had done that. Very important. Uh, and what a tour de force. Honestly, if you if you, you want to go watch a, a video that has an amazing arc that, of course, you won't <laughs> be able to hear what they're talking about because you're listening to the song. But well, but film's a visual medium. Yeah. Omar Epps and Sherry Headley. We love Sherry Headley. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Omar Epps is that man. He's the man. Good actor. Well, I think I think he was in that position in the 90s. As we said, like he had a lot of big credits. He wasn't necessarily like, a huge, huge like movie star, but he was a leading man. He had been in a lot of big films. And for a movie like this, that's going to be produced at New Line, like kind of in between a studio filming and an independent film, that's like a guy whose name above the title means something who also isn't going to cost you like $20 million. 
So right. I think they were very singularly focused on him, and that gave her permission to cast an unknown. And Sana Lathan, because she had done the reading, loved the script so much, uh, was really adamant to try to get the role. And it was one of those things where, like, the whole story, the commentary is really fascinating because uh, it's, it's Gina and Sana recording, like, a year after, I think, the movies come out. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a little while after the movies come out. But they've also done Disappearing Acts which is the HBO movie she does right after this. Right, with Wesley Snipes. My mom was in that. Really? Really? Yeah. We're going to yeah. watch that. Can we look out for your mom? Who does she it's, play? Yeah, it's sure. the one I haven't seen. But I don't know. I'm I've, excited I've to watch it. it. I've never seen it. Okay. I'll Would ask you her find and out? I'll text yeah. her. Yeah, I'll ask her and I'll text her. Uh, I can call her right now if you want me to. <laughs> but send her, send her a text. I, I, yeah. She won't respond to the text. But I'll ask her I'll ask her after we get done today. And uh, Maybe at the end of the episode, we'll call your mom. Is that like a good way to end the episode? <laughs> no, uh, no. <laughs> I, I will. Uh, I will call her after you get done, and, and I'll text you what what the part that she plays. Cool. In. Yeah. Uh, so they had done th- those two movies together, but uh, the whole their whole relationship, and then they worked together again on Shots Fired, the Fox series that mm-hmm. uh, Bythewood did. Um, their whole relationship was like Gina negging her over and over and over again because. Yes. She didn't want her to do the reading at Sundance. Her father recommends it. She calls up Sana Lathan, who's doing a play at that point, and says, would you want to come do this reading? And she goes, yeah, that sounds interesting to me. Let me see if I can get out of the play. So she goes to the play and tells them, like, I got this big opportunity. It's a movie. I'm trying to transition out of theater into doing more on-camera stuff. I need to follow through on this. So she quits the play calls back Gina and says like, okay, I, I got approval. And she goes, great. Can you come in tomorrow and audition for me? Right. So she had already quit the play and then was it's asked intense. to audition for the table read at Sundance. Does the audition, does the read, and then is told there's no way I'm going to hire you because I have to hire a basketball player. Right. You can't dribble. She, she failed to dribble at the first audition, I believe. Right. So then she said like, is there any way I can convince you? She said, yeah, if you want to train, so she spent four months training with real players, like real college and high school players, and a coach from the Sparks. Yeah, but still did um, not have the role. She was um, doing all of that for four months so that she could then do like not a screen test, but essentially a court test to show Gina that she could play well enough. Um, do you know the Gabrielle Union side of it? No, Gabrielle Union is in this movie, as I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys all know, and. She auditioned for the role of Monica and she played basketball as a teenager and was much more sporty. And she arrives to the audition dressed in, you know, a basketball uniform, like dressed in the clothes she plays basketball in. And according to her, uh, Gina is like, yeah, you don't look like a baller to me. (laughs) Wow. And just dismissed her out of hand. Yeah, and Union like protested and she's like, no, you're not going to work, but I have a role you're perfect for. And so I'm just going to quote, this is Gabrielle Union from the LA Times did a big oral history of love and basketball. Mm -hmm. Um, She gives me the sides and I'm like, ho? Because she was like, you don't look like an athlete, which I was my whole life, but you do give me ho vibes. I was very offended, but it was my first big break. It was only the third movie I ever did. So I was very grateful. Wow. So Gabrielle Union walks in there. She's like, no, I do know how to play basketball. And Gina's like, I see you in this role. And Gabrielle Union's just kind of like, all right. But she did it. Their commentary where it's like, you're listening to 
two hours of two friends who have worked together multiple times talking about their entire relationship. And it sounds like uh, uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood is incredibly direct, like does not mince words. She talks about like it's like it's all about what's for the good of the movie. I don't have any ego. Everyone else has to surrender their ego. Like she she kind of views filmmaking in a way that makes sense coming from a sports background because it's just like we have to win. We have to work together as a team. We have to win. I'm not going to like waste time on pleasantries and things like that. Um, But they talk about how and it wasn't something she was doing consciously making uh, Sana Lathan go through all those tests worked as sort of character building because she started to develop the same sort of mindset that the character needs to have of just like, I am so single-mindedly focused on this being my path, even though people aren't taking me seriously, even though it seems like my prospects are limited. She is very plausible as a basketball player in this movie. And like I, I, I would have assumed she like whatever as a teenager had played. Yeah. It's ball. like six months of work. She said she came from a dance background. Her mother was sure. a Broadway dancer and she had done gymnastics like she had done a lot of movement based things, but had literally never picked up a basketball until she started training. For she looked this. great in it. She, she looks great. Yeah. Like, it, it was she it, looks so like, good. I, I, I haven't watched the movie in a while, but I remember I've seen it so many times that I like remember how she was playing and it looked like her her shot was pure like the the basketball playing in this movie looked better than a lot of movies that play most back. movie most yeah. basketball movies I would say, I would say yeah, blue it's chip, really hard blue chips is probably stands to be the best basketball player sure. in the movie but this looked good and you could tell that they're not shooting around her like anytime there's a shot that's focused on a hand and you're like oh this is so they could use a, an athletic double then the camera tilts up and you see her face in the same shot yeah. like it's always her and she also looks jacked like yeah. her arms are ripped they talk about in the commentary that any of the scenes where she is shirtless, they would have her leaning against a surface so that she could show off her abs more. Like she was <laughs> so proud of the fact that she had gotten into that good shape that they always wanted to find positions to show off her muscles uh, the best they could. But it was it was like six months of work that a got her good enough to be able to fake it on camera and not really fake it to be able to actually play because in almost every scene, everyone else she's playing against is a real basketball player is at least like a junior varsity player, uh, if not a college player. Um, So they were, you know, playing on real courts with a large amount of extras and they would boo if the actors miss shots and they would cheer (laughs) if the actors did well so she said, like, there was that sort of pressure on Omar Apps and Sana Lathan to actually perform well because the crowd would actually turn on them. Everyone yeah. else on the court actually knew how to play, so they weren't doing any favors. They weren't, like, grading anyone on a curve. Um, but it is, it's, I just think, like, there's, there's a focus in her performance that aside from the fact that she learned how to play basketball well enough to do the movie also just translates to the character of just, like, she so badly wants to be there. And that applies for the character and the actress at that point. Damn, dog. Shit is real deal. Shit is real. It's, it's shit. an impressive performance. And it's like this this pretty much makes her. It does. She's such a serious actress, and like all the oral history stuff talks about like how intense she was on set and that she and Omar Epps were dating. And really? that they were like, Oh yeah. Yes. 
Yes. And so like Gabrielle Union talks about like they were really not interested in talking to me. So now it sort of treated me like an enemy, not in a bad way, kind of yeah. just in a like, we're not we're not going to pretend to be your friend. Well, like while the camera isn't running, I, I, it all sounds very, very focused. Very, There's all very this intense. weird, unconscious, like unplanned methody stuff happening behind the scenes on this movie that translates into like the the texture of the thing. And I think like one of the things I like about Gina's movies so much is that they they feel like very classical. They feel very old Hollywood. Like when you watch like a big studio movie from the 40s and it doesn't have a genre, it's just kind of everything. Like the idea of like a big expensive studio movie was like you're going to have romance and you're going to have comedy and you're going to have drama and it's going to be like an epic story that spans some amount of time even when it was sort of character-based and actor-based and all of that. And this is a movie where it just, like, it has every kind of element in the pot, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, she and Omar Epps had been in the wood together, uh, you know, so, like, maybe that's where the romance starts. I'm, I'm not sure. They were definitely dating on the set of this movie. I, f- I feel like I heard that when they screen-tested together, they were trying to hide that they were dating. Right. Right. So I think they were prior to this. Yeah. They have great chemistry. I mean, yeah. it's wild that they would try to hide that because I heard that in the screen test, the whole screen test was just them having sex. It was them right. fucking. It was them fucking. It was, fucking. Just, that go was, the screen it. It was but, just like, and rolling. But also they had to dribble at the same time. That was the yeah. difficult part. Yeah, right. 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 At Love that point, and basketball. Well, at that see. point, the movie was called fucking basketball. Yeah. But right. Oh boy. This is a crazy um, thing that kept on coming back in the commentary. She had to re-edit this movie like 15 times because the MPAA kept on giving it an R because they uh-huh. said it was too erotic. It's that classic thing with the MPAA when when sex scenes are actually like emotional and yes. kind of like there seems to be like a lot of realism, even though you're not you know, quote unquote, seeing anything. This is what like, she talked about. The she MPA said, flips yes. out and they're like, no, I, no like, this is too far. No kid can handle this. She kept on saying like the word they kept on using was erotic. There were no right. scenes that I cut out. It was a matter of like having to go back and cut out another second here, another frame here. Right. Cut like, out finding some an breathing. alternate take. Right. But it was never visual. And she's like almost every intimate scene in the movie is tight on their faces. And then they would tell me it was too erotic. And it's because people aren't used to seeing that kind of like intimacy and that vulnerability in sex scenes that it it like there's the moment she said the biggest argument they had was the moment when they sleep together for the first time. It stays for a long time on their two faces without cutting as you see them start to have sex and you see the range of emotions go over like Sana Lathan's face as she starts to enjoy it. And they flipped out over that. Wow. Too real. Flipped out. It's weird. I have one bone to pick with this movie. Do you guys have a bone picking section of this podcast? It's whatever you want to pick the bone. Pick away. The movie starts in 1982. Mm. That's right. Quincy plays for the Clippers in 1982. And they call uh, you, them Quincy's Quincy's dad. You yeah, mean, uh, Quincy Zeke. Zeke. Yeah, Zeke, yeah. Zeke Zeke McCall McCall. yeah, yeah. Plays for yep. the Clippers in 1982, and they call them the Los Angeles Clippers. Well, here's the thing: mm. they have banners up in his house that say San Diego Clippers. Okay, so so they got it right. 
So I think they get it right, but it is. Then why are they in L.A.? It, it is the only thing that's a little weird. You know, I, I mean, I will say, like, I was just watching the, the Griffey doc. Oh, thank you. Thank you for supporting me, Carl. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> I was, worked I really was, hard on that one. I was watching the Griffey Newman, Griffey <laughs> yeah. Newman Jr. doc. Yeah, downtown and, Griffey Newman's doc. Yeah. <laughs> and it, they lived in Cincinnati, even though he, like, played in Seattle. Right, because that he's a, right. That's where they were from. Right. right. Yeah. It's funny. It's like the the Clippers Griff. Just so you know, moved from San Diego to L.A. in '84. Yeah, of course I know that. Um, and so I guess they just want. It's interesting the timing of this movie in general. I guess they just want it to line up so that by the end of the movie we can be in the present day. The WNBA can exist and all the age stuff can make sense. I guess is that the thing? You know, like that must be. Yeah how she's working backwards from there. Yeah. You don't want to set the end of the movie in the future. I think sure. Something like that. Anyway, yeah. it's, but you're right. You're right. Technically his dad plays for the San Diego Clippers, not the Los Angeles Clippers. Okay. All right. Right. I mean, no, you're, we're, we're, you're, we're agreeing. I take my bone back. I know you can. I think you can keep half a bone uh, in. No, okay. I, I think they kind of, they, you see the banners, but they kind of talk around the fact that he plays in San Diego. I guess he's, San Diego is what, like an hour and a half from LA? I'm not an yeah, expert. Two hours, two and a half hours. Or two, okay, it, it depends on how good you're driving. See, I'm a very good driver, right. so I get down there in 45 minutes. But what do, uh, what do you drive, Carl? A Dodge Challenger. I'm wow. Ooh. I want to get a new car. I've been I've been trying to get a new car. You're finding a way. I'm realizing now this episode is an excuse for you to talk about everything that you and I don't overlap on. David. <laughs> right. That we don't David have and I have so much in common, but driving and basketball <laughs> are probably one and two. <laughs> What kind of car are you looking for? You oh live in you live I in Brooklyn, know. New York. I live in Brooklyn. I would say you got to get a something compact. I, well, I have something compact, and that is the logical choice. But, but go am, for it and get a pickup. That, well, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm I'm looking somewhere in the middle of those two. Things. Get I'm a, not going to get a pickup. Get an F one fifty Raptor yep. in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Get, get a stretch PT cruiser in purple. <laughs> I want one of those, you know, when Hummers were like big yellow Hummers, like in the yes. mid two thousands were all the rage. That's what I want. Yeah. Get a Nissan Xterra, a Nissan Xterra, the yellow ones. Okay. They were trying to be. Nissan oh yeah. Look Xterra. at that. Yep. Yep. I mean, anyway, we can talk about it off mic. Yeah. God, look at this. This thing's got a big butt. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah, a car just kind of has like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just kind of has that extra. <laughs> like there's a window onto the trunk. Like, why would you want to look onto the trunk? So people see how much space you have. It's not for you. Right. It's for other people right. behind you. <laughs> um. Anyway, this movie, love and basketball. Oh, this is what I, I had an actual question. I want to ask. Okay. When does the WNBA start? 96, I think. 90, 96, 97. Yeah. So it is like, yeah. I feel like that's an important factor in this movie is a hundred percent you're kind of charting the life of a woman who is in the first generation yes of of female basketball players who have an outlet in america on a major when stage. she's right when she's playing college in this movie her only route out of college would be to go play in europe like that's the yeah. only thing right. available to right her and it's not 90s. really yeah. right it's like not really talked about but it's it's a thing i well, find they, so they, they, they kind of the movie kind of talks yeah, about you know talk like she it. ends up in right in, she, in no Barcelona no what i'm saying is yeah. what's not really talked about is the understanding that there's the a very a limited side right, route right. Like they were charting their two careers. And for him, the potential is he could go to the stars. And for her, it's like you could end up in Europe. 
you know? Like, there's no way yeah. for her to end up at equal footing to him while doing the same thing. That's what I like. It's like, it runs throughout the entire movie, but it's never sort of directly stated. It's what I love about the the writing of this film is like the dynamic of their relationship is often that she's a little too serious and that he's a little too carefree, right? Like he's kind of like, well, whatever, it's all going to work out for me, but whereas she she's has really to be, not. And it's right. It's because her options are narrowing and his are right. widening. Like, he, you know, that, he's that's going to be like their career. Choose your own adventure book. He's got many right. different outcomes that would work out for him. And for her, it's like, there's literally one pathway. You know, she has to get one of these scholarships. She has to be at one of these schools. She has to perform at this level to get a limited slot on a team in Europe. And then come back home and work yeah. at a bank. And then they're like, they're starting up a league for women. And she's like, I'm old. Right. Right. Because when the WNBA started, a lot of those those big stars who were like, you know, they were they were kind of at the twilight of their career. Yeah. Cheryl right. Swoops. Like, like Yes. Uh, Cynthia Cooper. That's what I'm talking about. Cynthia Cooper, who played on the, which I recommend a documentary for you guys to watch on HBO called Women of Troy. And it's about the USC teams of the mid 80s. And those, like, Cynthia Cooper played on those teams and she was like, she graduated college in 1984. The league didn't start for another 10 years. She was 31, 32 years old when the league started and still, like, was able to dominate. But. But like Cheryl Swoops, I mean, I think she was she was maybe in her late twenties. Like I'm trying to think of like those early stars. And what's her name? Lisa couldn't even Leslie. play. Uh, right. uh, Cheryl Miller couldn't even play. Like she right. was. Yeah, she Cheryl hurt. Miller, Reggie Miller's sister, who was more famous than Reggie Miller when they were kids. Like that's kind of a funny version of that. That's brother sister, but right, mm-hmm. like that same dynamic where it's like there's a while where women's basketball and women's basketball are relatively parallel and then they very much are not like you know they, then then it just it's yeah works. well right like in high school or whatever it's one thing but there's like there there's this cloud over the movie which is the, the the highest she could possibly ascend is still pretty much lower than the lowest he could possibly ascend yeah while following it through you know <sighs> um yes exactly um, which it all just feels pretty realistic and yeah. kind of, you know, guys, let's give up on male privilege. We, we got to fucking take it, dude. I don't want it. Well, I shouldn't say that. that yeah, sounds nah, I want this shit. Can I say something <laughs> definitively? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go because ahead. I want to, I want to let action speak louder than words. I want to, you know, offer up something substantive. I will hereby promise that I will never play in the NBA. You're in out? solidarity with women. You know, I'll do yes. the same thing. You're out. I'll do the same I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to do it in solidarity. Oh, with women. I'm never going to do it because I understand that I have a better chance of making an NBA team than most. Technically, a woman could play for the NBA. There's no rule against it. Women have been drafted. Yes. Mark Cuban has kind of hinted at that sometimes being like, maybe I'll draft a woman like for the Mavericks. Like, cause I think he's sort of like stirring that conversation up every once in a while. But then what happens when they draft someone, the times that they have drafted a female player in the past, no, I, nothing comes, of nothing it, comes right? of it. When they, when those women, the two women that have been drafted to team, well, there's only been one draftee. And then there has been a woman who's been had getting, gotten an opportunity to try out. And because of science, they just were not able to compete with the men. Yeah, but they were both two amazing basketball players. I believe Louisa Harris is the the woman who was drafted. She was drafted by the 
Jazz. The New I Orleans think. Jazz like, yeah. in 1974. Yes, she went. Yeah. She played at Mississippi Valley State or Mississippi right. Delta State or something like that. Uh, Delta State. Yep. Yeah, I always mm-hmm. love a good Mississippi story. Uh, I, there's no footage of her, but I mean, if she if she got drafted in the 70s, she was she must have been able to I mean, hoop. She she must have been really good. Like, yeah. If a, and then there was this. Uh, what's her name? You know who I'm talking about? She played. She got to try out for the Pacers in the early 80s. L- little blonde hair woman who does commentary. Uh, hmm. She also could really hoop. Is it Denise Long? That's a person I've heard of. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I remember Denise Long. She Let like worked out for the Warriors or something like that. Who's the player who plays for the Phoenix Mercury now? Um, their center. Ann Myers they, like, is who I'm sh- talking about. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Myers. Carl, do you know who I mean? Uh, Are you talking about Brittany Griner? Yes. Brittany Griner. Yes, exactly. And like Mark Cuban definitely like when she was about to get, go number one in the WNBA was like, maybe we'll draft her. Maybe the Mavs will take her. Like, you know, he was sort of like kind of trying to start that conversation again. I just think it is fascinating to watch. I love movies that are about someone with like a, a single minded focus working towards some kind of goal, you know, yeah. like any movie where it's like, this is my dream. I'm going to work tirelessly until I get to this point. And in this movie, you have like dual narratives there, but one person has like an incredible glass ceiling placed above them. And it's not reflected in how she goes about her pursuit of the thing, you know, like I I think it's it's obviously there in the text of the movie, but the shittier version of this movie has a bunch of tearful monologues about like you don't understand what it's like for a woman. I'm never going to get to play in a professional yes, league. Yes, you're in absolutely right. Right, she she's not interested in that crap. Right, she yeah. keeps on talking about her pursuit of basketball in the exact same terms that he does. It's the right. exact same thing, even though the final resting place of where she thinks she can end up for much of her life is so far away from where he can end up. But also there, like all of the romantic and family drama in this movie is rendered very like realistically, like Dennis Haysbert, the second Dennis Haysbert, who is great in this movie and in all movies. And we need to talk about him for a second. But when he enters and he's talking about like, he has a meeting, you're just immediately like, well, all right. Okay. So this guy's cheating on his wife. Yeah. But like, there's a version of this movie where he is a dirt bag. Like, you know, he is just a shitty guy yeah. who is a totally one dimensional character. And it's, you know, whatever, like, you know, it, it dominates the movie and that's not really what she's interested in doing. And when they break up, when they have their big breakup, like in the middle of the movie, like, it's not over any one thing. It's like he acts shitty because he's going through stuff and she's not interested in like salvaging everything, you know, like making yeah. all the effort. You know what I mean? Like it's a very realistic and sort of quiet breakup. They talk about in the commentary that the goal was to make like everyone kind of right and kind of wrong at the same time. Right. And so when no they're one having, is doing anything outwardly right. evil or villainous, yeah. when they have that conversation in the bleachers, when he's found out about his dad's affairs and he's like trying to get her to console him and she's freaked out about curfew. Yeah. In the commentary, right, right. they're like, well, I mean, he has a point, which is like, he she's really, not really, stepping he really up, needs right. her and he's being like emotionally open. He's asking her directly. He is telling her directly. I could really use you right now. I could really, really use your support. Right. Uh, which is a big moment. And she rejects that. 
and she could probably skip out on curfew. It's like a thing that players do. He maybe would do the same thing if the situation were flipped. But on the other hand, they're going to be much stricter on her. It's going to be held against her more strongly. And as you said, she has fewer outlets. If she gets reprimanded there, if she gets penalized, if she plays less games, if she gets kicked off of the team, any of these things, it's like, well, then she's fucked. She doesn't have backup roots. Right. So, I mean, she has her justification there. And also, they're young people. Like, they're two young people. There's so many things in the movie where people make, like, stupid decisions that are so rational and understandable. Carl. Yeah. What is your opinion on Dennis Haysbert? Love him. He's I would the say, best. I would say Dennis Haysbert is the most believable television athlete. Ooh. Oh, absolutely. Because he's got the physique. He's, he's got, got you the know, physique. He's, he, he's very believable as like a military guy. He's very believable in heat as like, you know, a professional thief. Like he's very, very, very convincing as um, an athlete. Like you're saying, like, yeah, he, he's a very robust guy. Yeah. It, when he played, uh, what was fuck you, Joe Boo's name? Uh, uh, Major League. Uh, yeah. What was what was the character's name? Uh, uh, Pedro Serrano. Serrano. Pedro Serrano. Pedro Serrano. Yes. Yeah. When he plays Serrano, that was believable. He looks like he could really be a baseball player. Uh, yep. When he played, we don't see him play basketball in this, in this movie, but yep. he looks like somebody who's like, when they first he started the movie, like he that. looked like he could have been playing in the 80s. He He's looks like 6'4. Yeah. yeah. He looks like, like Marcus Johnson. And he dresses perfect. Like they have costumed him perfectly. Yeah. I, ju- I just realized that they're both in Major League Two together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Omar Epps plays the Wesley Snipes role right. Replacement. In, in Major the League Willie Mays Two. Hayes. Yeah. Which ain't that wild that they did that? I know. It, it is pretty wild. It's pretty fucking crazy. Like, just eliminate the character. Yeah, especially because it, it's like, well, Snipes has become a major movie star at this point. It's not just like, oh, yeah. the guy's unavailable. Like, I assume he was just like, yeah, I'll be in Major League Two if I'm above the title and you give me $10 million. And right. they were like, oh, no, forget it. But at you that know, like, point, you're going to be more aware of the absence of Wesley Snipes if you have someone else playing his character than if he wasn't there at all. Especially since, like, what is Willie Mays? His, he runs really fast. Yeah. Like, it's not like he's, like, an incredibly deep character. Was Major League Two good? Usually, too, it actually kind of rips. Yeah, yeah it's okay. really good. It makes it's, me cry so hard. Yeah, it's same both here. Of them. Is it? It's not as good as Major League One. Though. Major League One is a is one of the top sports movies of all time. It's so funny. Major League One is great yeah. to recreate. Here, and Major League One has let's go win the fucking thing, which is like one of the top ten sports movie lines of all time. To, like you know that that like yeah, at the end, a comedy that is so funny also portrays pretty good baseball. Right, uses real team names. I talked about this on. Griffin was on mm-hmm. the flagrant ones. Draft day. Yeah. I need, yeah. I need real team names. I can't, right. I just like can't do any given Sunday. I can't like do the, the LA Sharks. Sharks. Yeah, no, yeah, I can't do right. it. I can't do it. It takes me out of it. It takes I me forgot, out of it. I forgot to mention this uh, on the flagrant ones episode, uh, Carl, but I think you'll find this interesting. Uh, one of the conditions of uh, working with the NFL for draft day yeah. and being able to use real team names and logos and everything and also being able to film at the actual NFL draft mm-hmm. was the filmmakers had to agree to dub over the booing when Goodell took the <laughs> oh, yeah. stage at the draft. You can recognize that, was, that. 
It was contractual. <laughs> that wasn't like a thing where it's like, oh, Where's, that'd be nice. You know it's what? like, we'll give you permission. We'll let you film here. We'll give you the names. You have to make it seem like everyone is very happy to see Roger Goodell. It's amazing how protective they are over that brand. And that, yes. that just lets you know that they know it's bullshit. They yes, know right. that the NFL is absolute dog shit. They know it because they're so <laughs> right. protective of it. Remember Playmakers yeah. on ESPN? Yes, that was uh, my brother's yeah, favorite yeah. TV show. Yeah. yeah. They pulled a plug on that one. I couldn't get with that one either because of fake team names, but it was a good show. But like in the NBA draft, when David Stern came out, people would boo. And like, that was part of the joy of it. He would do his ear like mm. for the crowd, you know, like he would play it up. And then now Adam Silver, no one boos because he's like, whatever. He's much more anodyne. No one has a problem with Adam Silver. And like, that's fine too. Like I, I like the NBA. It's much more, it's much more on the level, but it's also like this year at the draft, the hashtag was hashtag boo the commish. Like, and he's like in his living room with a big ass jar of M&Ms being like, come on. I can't hear it. Like looking at his TV where everybody's on zoom and they're just like, bah, bah, you know, like putting on for the camera, you know, they're hired, hired people. Like, yeah, come on. I right. can't hear you. Right. But like, they're like Sicilian mourners. Yeah. So why would, why would he, why would they care that booing? That's funny that they've embraced it now when they were like making people. I know. I know. Well, and also, and in that, in that case, like the way they embraced it this year was like, well, now he's acting like he's in on the joke and he likes it, but also, right. He's only doing it's, that it's the totally one staged. time he doesn't have to do it in person. Like the he one doesn't time actually have to hear a fucking arena full of fans. And then, and then remain in a room yeah, with people who like, have that yeah. level of contempt for him. Yes. Right. 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 It, it makes a lot of sense that he finally embraced it once there was distance. Just back to Haysburg and literally hmm. everyone in this movie is famous, which I remarked to Gina Prince Bythewood when I interviewed her. Like it is wild how like Tyra Banks or Regina Hall are yes. like popping up for like one yeah. or two scenes. Boris Kodjo shows up, you know, yeah. like all those little cameo performances by Kyla Pratt as baby right. Monica. Like yeah. almost everyone in this movie with dialogue who doesn't go on to become famous was a basketball player and not an actor. Right. Um, but Dennis Haysbert in this or in um, he was in uh, I'm trying to think of like other movies where he's played trashy. Like I feel like mm. there's a few a few times like he's great at playing like kind of a dirtbag. He's also great at playing like immense gravitas. I was going to say like he's so good at playing authority figures or like voices right. of reason. He can be like the president. Right? right. He can be like far from heaven. Love field. He plays like these incredibly sensitive characters. But then also if right. you Kung need Fu him. Panda 2, Master Storming Ox, <laughs> like those types of very high status characters. Obviously all state uses him to literally just represent like safety. Yeah. Right. Like you know like he just plays the concept of safety. Yes. Uh, and waiting, waiting to exhale. He plays like a, a a smooth oh, talking sure. like player yeah. right you know like and uh, and obviously in heat like he's a pretty lovable character in heat but he is playing like a you know a professional criminal who doesn't want to be a fry cook god mr baseball too i forgot that he had such a big sports run in the 90s like like carl said that's the career i want yeah yeah he does three major leagues love and basketball mr baseball I think everyone regrets Major League back to the minors, so right? Like that's that, that wasn't right? good for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula. Yeah, he was yeah. back in Bakula for that one. 
<laughs> but that's where that's like where enough people have left that now Haysbert is third build. Where like you know, he's kind of just like bumped up the rankings. It's Bakula, Burnson, Haysbert. <laughs> right, Burnson is the other one who stuck around. He's the one. Yeah, but yes, no, it, it is. Uh, everyone's so well cast in this movie. A thing that uh, kind obviously of Alfie Woodard's incredible in this it's movie. So like she good. is like, I mean, and she has to be one of the top like minutes to like performance. You know what I mean? Like even if you put her in for like one scene in a movie, she will completely dominate the scene and change the temperature of the movie. Like she, like no matter what, like lead role, absolutely. She'll kill it. Tiny role. Like she's going to completely destroy. I came up with a term for this in a text and you said that's good. And I've been waiting to use it in an episode. Go ahead. Thermostat performances. Right, 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 right. It's when an actor is so commanding, they change the entire temperature of the movie in a scene. Yeah. And she's like a perfect example of that. When she's the lead, she does that within the movie. When you only give her one scene, she does that within a movie. Yep. The movie's, it's structured in quarters. Yeah, which I love. You have four quarters. Uh, Another thing I like is that each quarter, I believe, I was trying to time it watching it today. I believe each quarter gets longer than the previous one. Which happens in real basketball. All right, 100%. But it's, it stretches out like. Uh, yeah, well, because yes. like in basketball, the fourth quarter takes much longer because they keep on calling timeouts. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, there's a lot more fouling and like, you know, it, it, it can be really stop start. But yeah, the first 12 minutes or so are this opening in the 80s, which start with her uh, uh, Kyla Pratt uh, asking to play basketball with the boys, taking off her hat, revealing that she's a girl playing with yeah. them. Um in the script, it was supposed to be that they knock her tooth out. Sana Lathan has that scar in real life. Right. Which is so, so noticeable and, and Right. Striking. And so good that they were like, let's just use that rather than cover that up. That's the thing we'll use to carry over for the whole movie. Now, I just want to say as someone who had a friend who scarred me. Mm hmm. It's kind of messed up that then later it's like, get over it. It's like, no, this is on my face. You <laughs> fucked me up, man. I also have a scar, but unfortunately it was my own fault. I don't, I can't really blame anyone. Uh, I have a scar uh, on my forehead because a kid uh, stabbed me in the face with a wooden stake in shop class. Damn. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. Did he think you were a vampire? I think that was the the confusion. I think that was the misunderstanding. I am very pale. Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, that, that I was bleeding out of my head. Wow. And, Damn. and look, then I married him and had a child with him. So this movie's very <laughs> realistic. Right. And I have this on my eye cause I tripped over a chair in pre-K and whacked my face against the table leg. And then of course I did end up marrying the chair. You did marry the chair. I got right. this scar on my finger here. Y'all can't see it in here, but my finger is lacerated right there by the top of Ooh. a can of refried beans. Mm. Oh, and uh, me and those beans just hooked up for a while. <laughs> you messed around. <laughs> yeah, you figured it out, but it, it, wasn't it, it was it was yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah, it was casual. Um, but there's just really good, efficient, economic character building. In the commentary, yeah. she talks so much about how hard she worked on the script, how long she worked on the script, how many drafts she had that she didn't think it was ready to go into production when New Line wanted to acquire it. She wanted like another year or two to work on it. But you can just tell that it's like every single line, every single movement, and and especially in terms of what doesn't happen on screen, is so well thought out. And because this movie is so much about this power balance between these two characters and the different stages of their life, it's like every 
movement emotionally is is so deliberate and so precise. Right. Um, but so yeah, this opening, the first quarter is mostly that sort of table setting of their dynamic. As a kid, right. uh, he's already a hot shot and she's already constantly fighting to be recognized. And he's more of a rich kid because of his dad mm-hmm. and they're much more middle class. Like they are... And, and like there's that scene between the two moms where you can see that there's kind of a gulf between them right away. And and even just as a kid, it's like everyone views Quincy as if he is on a track for greatness. And everyone yeah, views right. her by saying, like, when is she going to drop this basketball thing? Right. Her dad, Harry Lennox, uh, who I love the great as Harry well. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, is like. A good dad. Again, again, I just love this that like none of the parents, even when the parents are maybe being unsympathetic, are bad people. Mm-hmm. Like no, no, it doesn't take any easy narrative route like that. And the dad, he's like, you know, he's supportive, but he's also like, yeah, he's just kind of quietly like, yeah, well, you know, this won't last forever. And and the Quincy character goes back and forth in terms of allegiance between his parents, you know? Yeah, like I, I, I do like that he shifts between the two of them. I feel like a lot of movies like this, even if the story you want to tell is disillusionment with your father, they wouldn't put the work in to make the relationship with the mother that strong. It would just yeah. be about the opposition mm-hmm. to the father rather than mm-hmm. the relationship with the other parent. Um, uh, she's yeah. really good too, Debbie Morgan. Oh, man. Awesome. So fucking she is. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like your damn daddy. <laughs> Did she say that in that movie? I think she does. Yeah. I know her best from Eve's Bayou, where she's kind of incredible in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys have seen it, uh, which was sort of her big breakout right before this movie. Um, she got like a bunch of, you know, critics awards and stuff for that. Um, so wait, but then we jump towards, we jump forward to 1988. Mm-hmm. They're playing high school ball on the court. Um, they're pals, mm-hmm. but he's kind of like, you know, a little cutie pie hooking up with all the girls. And she's like very, very serious and very closed off and very kind of like mm-hmm. sports focused. Well, and also my my single favorite moment in the entire film is when uh, when Quincy's parents are fighting and then he opens up the window and knocks on yeah. Sana Lathan by and Monica's just sleeps window. on her floor. And it's yeah. unspoken. There's just nothing said. Right. It's just very clear. Like this there's is a thing like that a routine happens. to it. There's, right. there's a known routine that anytime he can't sleep because they're arguing, he doesn't even have to say anything. There's the spot on the floor for him to sleep. And, and that right. comes right after you see the two of them like bickering in school. You think almost, do they not talk at all anymore? Are they not really close at all? But it is that kind of thing. They're, they have a really nuanced, complicated relationship depending on what environment they're in. Right. But then, right. Then they're teenagers and there's the whole teenage section, the whole like there's, you know, on the basketball side, it's sort of Monica, right? Like, you know, hoping to get recruited and Quincy is like already set on that. I mean, front. Quincy but has also, like, like reporters yeah. following him, his dad, right. like functioning as his like, publicist you know yeah like everyone's talking about where is he gonna go and with monica it's like there's a hair's difference between whether i get to continue playing basketball or not yeah like i'm fighting to just continue she has kind of a temper on court and i feel like this is not really heavily addressed in the movie but carl would you agree it's sort of like there is that kind of thing of like male players are a little more allowed to showboat a little bit more and anytime she showboats or has kind of like an attitude 
like everyone's mad at her. They're like the, her coaches are mad at her. You know, it's kind of that thing of like, that's not welcome in women's basketball. Yeah, Stick to your game. Like, right. Right. Yeah, for like sure. It's, it's, a, it's sort of like a quietly coded thing. Guys, let's it. just give up our male privilege right now. <laughs> I, I, I rescinded. I, I gave up my, my standing in the NBA. All of it. Um, I don't even want to so, play like celebrity all-star game. I'll say that. I surrender that too. I'm not giving this shit up. That's fine. If they call oh, me if okay, for All-Star Weekend, if I you'll, ever you'll get it. big enough to play in that, that's my true career goal is that's to play in, that, in the celebrity right, game. Right. And the celebrity games are getting real dumb now. Yeah, they've gotten worse. They got like ba- babies out there and stuff. It's like, come on, man. Get this <laughs> damn baby off the court. I'm trying to hoop. Chucky Finster was in the last yeah. All-Star yeah, game. Yeah, they, right? they got him in there. Me and Brian yeah. McKnight out here trying to give buckets. And you got Chucky Finster mm. on the court. <laughs> But Chucky Fitzer, he's like Muggsy Bogues. Like he can kind of like, you know, go between your legs. Well, he's slippery in the sense that he's right. covered in drool. Like he literally can slip and slide on the court. He's allergic to hardwood, allergic to parquet. <laughs> but somehow the sneezes help him. There's that scene where um, her uh, Monica's older sister, Lena, who's played by Regina Hall. Yeah. And like this is her second or third movie. I think. Yeah, a scary movie comes out this year, right? Right. But she was in uh, The Best Man. She She's in The Best Man. That's literally all she's been in so far, okay. I guess. Um, but uh, I love that scene where she gives her the makeover. And also when you see, I assume like the idea is like she was a cheerleader because you see her watching her sister in the stands and she's sort of mouthing along like to the cheer. Like she still remembers like the basics of the cheers. Mm-hmm. I really like that little moment. Like I, I like all that little character stuff that the movie doesn't need to put much emphasis on. Like it's all just sort of woven in there. But they're still at this point treating her basketball sort of obsession as if it's a phase. Like they keep on trying yep. to break her down to like, when will you just wear makeup? You could actually date a boy if you wanted to. Right. She basically calls them out on like, you think I'm a lesbian. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you want to hear something insane? Yeah. Uh, when this movie got into Sundance in Which like the, it, it the book premiered at Sundance. Yeah. yeah. In the booklet or whatever, with the, the descriptions of all the films, they described it as, a, a love story between two women set in the backdrop of basketball. Oh, so they just assumed they were like, they oh, it's about assumed. a female basketball player. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like obviously whoever was on the board at Sundance had seen the movie, but whoever wrote the description just made the assumption. And she said that when she was pitching the screenplay, when she was writing it, when she would talk about it to people, everyone assumed, Oh, if it's about a woman in basketball and it's a love story, it's a gay movie. Like they couldn't conceive of the fact that there was a straight female basketball player. <laughs> I heard the description said verbatim, a love story about basketball and a couple women who are kind of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. The, 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 they somehow wrote that down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's insane. Through, through clenched teeth. So, you know. <laughs> you know. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. So they go to prom. Right. You got Gabrielle Union at this point, who's um, looking to hook up with Q. Right. And Regina Hall and Alfred Woodard have made over Monica. And of, and of course, Gabrielle Union will go on to marry Dwayne Wade in real life. Yeah. Unrelated. Right. To this movie. But she is. That was the part I liked the most when you took me to a Nets game, when we went to a basketball game together. Carl, we went to a Nets game with Griff. And yeah, it was it was it was Dwayne Wade's last game. Ah! It was the Heat. Nets game that was like where Wade's last game when like LeBron and Mello and people were and in that's the where, stands where and Mello Gabriel. gets up and does the little dribble thing yes yeah 
And uh, and when Gabrielle Union came out on the court at the end of the game, Griffin got really excited. I said, finally, a movie star. <laughs> right. That's dope. I've been waiting all game for a movie star to come out. <laughs> she fired the uh, T-shirt cannon. She did. That's it was right. Great. She did do that. She had a good hat on from what I remember. Yeah. Maybe Mello gave her a hat because Mello is a real hat man. Yeah. I'm a hat man. Yeah, exactly. This is the section of the movie where you should talk about the music because the yes. soundtrack oh, is great. God. The soundtrack to this movie is so good. It's a pretty legendary soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I get this soundtrack mixed up with the, the wood soundtrack because that's mm-hmm. also another amazing soundtrack. Yes. But what I do know that is from this film is I go to work by Kumo D while they're playing basketball in yep. high school. And that one is the one that's like, that's a, that's like a, a banger. Like that always makes me think of every time I hear that song, which is rare because they don't play that song. But it, when I hear that song, it, it reminds me of this movie. And it'd be like him, like him playing for Crenshaw High School and that Kumo D song playing. I go to work. Wow. The, the Wood soundtrack is killer. I'm yeah. now looking at it. The Wood it soundtrack is so is good. I think they have similar oh soundtracks because they both are set in Los Angeles in the late 80s. Right. They're, they're very similar, right, vibes uh, as as movies. I haven't seen The Wood in a very long time. I, I have seen it. Those three movies, yeah. Love and Basketball, The Best Man, and The Wood are like... The Best Man. The, those three right. are those movies that you, like, black households just have on tape or DVD. And they were all, like, 1999-2000. They yeah. all yep. share so much cast. Like, between and the three have, of them, they, they announced, like, the next ensembles. generation of actors. Right, right. right. Yeah. Um, and And... Best Man and Love and Basketball are both produced by Spike Lee. Like, this yes. feels like the beginning. Uh, the Wood comes about uh, uh, separately. Rick Famuyuma went to USC, I think. But the other two, it's it's very much Spike Lee now finally having the cachet to be able to sort of shepherd in a new generation of black filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. Spike Lee, right, kind of helped, certainly was a big part of getting Love of Basketball made, right? His sort of, and, and I think also and the best letting man her too. director. Malcolm D. Like, Lee yeah, is, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Malcolm D. Yeah. Lee, yeah. But like, yes, uh, absolutely. you know what I mean? Like, there, there's a version of this movie where she is the screenwriter, but they're like, look, you've never directed before, like, we're not gonna, sorry, like, this is a big studio movie. No, but you that know, was like, like, where it's sort of like, yeah. yeah, he had been Spike Lee for over a decade at this point he was so established that he could extend that to other young filmmakers and say like, trust me, this person's a director, let them make the movie. But anyway, at prom, you just have that, like their, their whole, the whole sex scene, like the whole, Mm -hmm. like them finally coming around on their feelings for each other scene, all of that stuff, the acceptance from USC for her, right? Like, yeah, it's just this like lovely serendipitous kind of stuff where it's like, you can absolutely see these teenagers being like, this is, this is meant to be, we're going to be in college together. We've known each other a whole lot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's a little fairy tale and also a little like realistic and regular and kind of like awkward. She said it was a thing that like the new line executives kept on complaining that Monica looked upset in the whole scene. <laughs> and she was like, no, the whole point is that she's like scared. She's nervous. Right. And like it, it was one of those things like alongside the fact that everyone thought the scene was too erotic. There's there's an authenticity to this as like an actual loss of virginity scene, an actual sex right. scene between two people who've known each other for that long that like it, it makes people uncomfortable because it's the type of thing you don't often see in movies. I'm with New Line. It looked like she was saying the dick was trash. 
<laughs> like she sees it and she's like, oh boy. Yeah. Get that trash dick back, back in your pants. <laughs> Go back across the street. Go back next door. She does. I mean, it is weird that she ends the scene by logging onto Rotten Tomatoes and giving it a, <laughs> giving rotten, it a rotten tomato. <laughs> <laughs> giving it a little splat. Something yeah. to be said about showing uh, like a condom and it being put on and it spending some time yes. on that because of this time for special. Yeah, yeah. yeah There's definitely. just like there, there are emotions that without getting graphic, there are emotions they go through in this scene that are just like, oh, right. They, they make you realize the things that most sex scenes gloss over. Right. In just sort of doing like the softly lit uh, montage over sax music bullshit. Right. And that, but the thing is then because we're going to jump to them in college when they've been dating for a while, which is yeah. what happens next, then we just get a genuinely hot scene, like the striptease scene, like the, you know, I'll play you which for she your said, clothes. That's scene. the other one that they wanted to give an R. Because that scene is really hot. Like yeah. that scene is like, you know, but it's not graphic. Fucking sexy. They like yeah, couldn't I process you. the fact that the it's scene too is hot. actually hot. Yes. Too hot. Yeah. And also it's like narratively important. That's what I love about it too. It's like, it's not just like, yeah, well, we'll just have a really cute sex scene in the middle of the movie where they like play each other, you know, where, where there is love and basketball. It's like, mm-hmm. no, we need to put this in because that's going to be the crucial moment in the finale is that they play for each other's you know, love essentially yes. for your heart. So good. Play me for your heart. <laughs> for your oh, There's man. this meme that used to pass around. It was like, play me for your heart. And it was just like crazy dunks on these. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, like, right. You know, the, the, the college part, the typical rom-com and a second act stuff where it all falls apart. It just feels realistic. And it's not like, Oh, you lied about being a baker. Like, you know, the, the, the stupid thing I always talk about. Like, Let's talk about another. I mean, she talks so much about like the, not that they were like battles with new line, but there were so many things that they didn't get that she had to sort of double down on and they didn't get them because they were used to how people behave in movies rather than real life. Yeah, and she said right. like, a, a thing that I thought was really interesting that Gina Prince-Bythe would said in the commentary is that uh, she had like very protective parents. And she did not see an R-rated movie until she was 18. Right. She was adopted. And uh, when when she was like three weeks old, when she was a tiny, tiny baby and grew up, I think, in a pretty nice neighborhood in in, um, I think Southern California. California, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pacific Grove. And and she had multiple siblings, like adopted siblings. Multiple. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No. Her parents had four children and then they adopted her. Wow. But she hadn't seen an R-rated movie until she went to film school, essentially. So, like, That's insane. Her, her going to film school was, like, the moment in which she's starting to take film more seriously is also the moment in which she starts to, like, greatly open up the types of movies she's watching. Right. And she said that uh, Scorsese was, like, the single biggest influence on her in the well, way he's that... pretty it, good. Good, good filmmaker. But in the yeah. way that he was just sort of depicting his life. And it felt... Yes, it didn't right. feel shiny as much as there is stylization. It was like he wants to show his upbringing and his experiences that's, that haven't that's been in the movies thing before. About him. Right. Yeah, that's the thing about Scorsese, the magic that people, I think, kind of forget now because his filmmaking about his own life has become a stereotype. Like, right, you now know, everyone pain. references like, Scorsese movies when they're making It was movies. crazy in the 70s for this guy to make these movies about like, yeah, it was kind of tough. Like I grew up in a tough neighborhood and like it was it was intense. Like and people are like, Jesus, I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. Um, 
So she said that was like a big thing she was trying to do. Uh, Broadcast News was like a landmark movie for her. But the other thing she said she wanted to do with this movie was When Harry Met Sally. Yes, she wanted to do a black when Harry Met Sally. She's been pretty like she like that was sort of the marker she was throwing down. Right. That basketball felt like the right sort of superstructure to chart that. But she wanted to do that sort of story about a relationship progressing and going through different stages over a long period of time. Uh, But the thing I was going to say is the big scene where, um, you know, he finds out about his father. His father comes to him after a game. Right. And then tells him that there's a lawsuit, a paternity lawsuit. Yeah which right. he adamantly denies that when he goes sure. home to his mother, she's crying and drunk by the pool and she has the photos that a private eye has taken of him. And yeah. And also, by one. the way, like if you're going to adamantly deny a paternity lawsuit, maybe wait for the DNA test to be done before you're just like, it can't be. He's, I mean, he's like, so you know. fucking arrogant. Like that's this character's <laughs> yeah. downfall. He doesn't think yeah. that anyone can touch him. I just like that. He's not a, absolutely evil person though you no. know what i mean like in all these scenes he's you're just like yeah he's a pro basketball player yeah yeah he has that monologue where he's like you know there are 100 girls outside the hotel room and then there's 20 on your floor and there's one who makes it to your door you know like they're always trying to get you you know he's sort of like which is ridiculous and you have like, to reward like her that's a defense you have to reward her <laughs> the gauntlet the gauntlet that she made through Carl, if you're thinking about like the 80s, right? Like he's even he's on the Clippers who were shitty in the 80s. You know what I mean? That like, yeah. like that's when basketball is becoming a game that's nationally televised, not on tape delay. Like, you know, it's becoming a proper, cool, you know, generational sport in the 80s. Like not not like uh, sort of an also ran sport. Yeah. And the idea I think is supposed to be that they got pregnant in their freshman year of college. Right, right. He knocked her up and right. Right. So there's this thing of like, he doesn't hesitate to marry her and to be a father and to be there. But he's also very aware that now this is interrupting what would be like his 10 years of bachelordom at the peak of his fame and success in the NBA. Does Quincy come at his mom about being like, you were one of these hoes too? Or like, or was it? He doesn't do that. I think it's Zeke who says it. Right. Because it's when she finds the earring in his bed. And she's yelling at him about having girls over. Then he tries to throw it back on her. Like you were one of the girls that dad had over or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like basically like, like basically calling her out for being like, you're, you're calling these girls out, but you are one of these girls. So, right. Which I, I think what she's doing is calling out, like, don't get someone pregnant. Like don't get yourself locked into like a sort of forced marriage. I mean, it's. It, I, I think there's such a good balance of you don't get the sense that they don't love each other. You don't get the sense that no. they like hate each other. You get the sense that they would have stayed together, but they probably wouldn't have spent the rest of their lives together had she yeah. not gotten pregnant. Yeah, yeah. There is like actual romance and sexual chemistry between the two of them. But right, not all right. They're charismatic people. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so yeah, so, but anyway, so their relationship falls apart fairly realistically because of this. You also have, you know, these great juxtaposition sports scenes where you see him playing for USC Mm -hmm. in a screaming arena full of people with TV cameras and you know what I mean? Like, and and you see her playing in like a pretty regular gym and those games are of equal importance. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, USC, not a great basketball school, right? OJ Mayo. I'm trying to think of like, like USC players. SC basketball has never been a thing. FC men's basketball has never really Dem- been a thing. The women dominated. DeMar DeRozan. The- yeah. DeMar there, played there. Think, OJ right Mayo. Think, yeah. Taj Gibson was on that team. Okay. Yeah. But like, they never go like deep in the, and in the uh, March madness or anything. Nick like Young that. also the women's team, obviously. Right. Wait, yeah. who? Nick Young was also at SC. Oh, sure. Swaggy P. Yeah. Uh, they have they usually have good players, but mm-hmm. they don't really make it that far. But like there's this sort of undercurrent in this movie of like he's like, well, I'm just going to go pro as soon as I can. Yeah. Yeah. And his, and his dad is like, don't do that. That's what I did. Like and it kind of leaves you a little emotionally stunted. Like it's not going to be good for you. But like which is because like which I feel like in the 90s, Carl, like that was still definitely the thinking of like stay in college as yeah. long as you can. No. And now it's sort of like this thing where it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, what are you going to do? Play for no money? Like, yeah. and you know, enter the NBA when you're 23 years old or whatever. And, you know, like having essentially just wasted years of your life not making money. It sucks. I mean, it's a bad system. But and also the dis- Go ahead. No, we're going to say, Carl. No, I was going to say say something far more insightful about how basketball works. No, I was just (laughs) talking about how they uh, even going in at 20. I was looking at when Kyle Kuzma first came into the league and how people were like, well, he's older. And he's like, the dude is 22. Right. And people just act like he's fucking done. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) In a couple of years, you're just going to have to get rid of him anyway. I was going to say it's just the narrative. Uh. A disparity between the path that these two characters are on that that's the battle he's facing is like how long do I stay in college ra- relative to going pro and for her it's like how close am I to being kicked out of this dream entirely because also her coach is much harder on her right which you come to understand is because she recognizes that she's a high level player that the standard is higher for women in basketball because the opportunities are fewer and so she has to be harder on her to make sure that she does become good enough to be able to continue. He's kind of set. Like, yeah. it's just the matter of which which options he picks. Right. Uh, it's Christine Dunford plays the coach. I was looking her up. She's I'm very familiar. I feel like she's just been in a ton of stuff as, like, authority figures. I feel like she must have played, like, a lot of lawyers and cops and stuff. Did she hoop, though? Well, she's tall. She looks like a basketball player. She's yeah. from the Bronx. Um, she, she's like a theater person though. She went to Juilliard, uh, you know, like she seems like just fully a theater person. So I guess she just had the look. David, did you play basketball? Was that Um, something that you were into? When I was a little kid, I, when I was a kid, I played cause I was tall, like literally just basically like they were like, well, you're really tall. You should play basketball, but I have terrible hand eye coordination, which Mm. is pretty crucial to playing basketball. How tall are you, David? I'm six, three, like, oh, you know, too. I was always a tall kid. Yeah. And like, you know, but eventually when you're six, three, you're probably going to be a guard. And like, I love basketball so much, but I'm not very good at it. You, you wiggle your arms a lot like a Muppet. I have to imagine that doesn't serve you particularly well in basketball. <laughs> you supposed to keep Carl, your arms stiff. Carl, did, did you play basketball? Yeah, I played, I played up, uh, up through freshman year of college. I played D, right. division two basketball. There you go. Yeah. What was, where did you, were you a point guard? Uh, I was, I mean, you know, I didn't play. That was when I kind of, sure. kind of realized that it was like, cause I was a, I was a power forward in high school. And so right, of course, cause the, back then you're, you're right. You're tall yeah. enough to, to play the four. And yeah. I, I was able to like walk onto the team and, and, and practice, you know, like, you know, basically get used as a practice dummy. 
Like, right. and got very minimal playing time and then kind of realized at that point it was just like, okay, this is like, this is done. And uh, yeah. what's next? I will, right. you know, do comedy. <laughs> You're good at it. Yeah. <laughs> I will say this is, we're not just saying this cuz you're on. I feel like David and I both flipped out the first appearance of Chief. Like as long as, time as one of my favorite fans. ever moments listening oh, to a podcast while absolutely. I'm doing the damn dishes and like one minute in I'm like, "Oh, oh, I see what he's doing. Oh my god." Like, you know, that just that little moment. But also, I think it was just the feeling of like that that came at a time where it felt like there was a rotation happening where a lot of like the old guard sure, comedy bang sure. bang people were like starting to not appear on the show as much. A lot of characters were getting retired. Sure. There was, was the question right, right. of whether like new replacements would come in. And I remember us recording like the day after that first chief episode dropped and going like, it's here. We're, we're, there's going to be another age. Like there's going <laughs> to be a, a, a continuing run of, of comedy bang bang value. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. A uh, ex told me to do that character. Really? Yeah. Did and you do like that impression? Was it as, like, like a, a character you did? Right. Yeah. No. Like, was it, something it was something. You it was something I was. I was messing around with her. Like. Okay. We were talking right. about Carmen San Diego, and I started doing that voice, and she was laughing. Because the lot. voice is also like spot on. It. We have the same like tenor or whatever, uh-huh. or timbre or whatever the whatever that word right. is. Me and Lynn Thickpin have the same. Because also, you know. Whenever you see commenters kind of say, you know, when they love to criticize and they uh, <laughs> will be like, oh, this character. Wait, what? Sounds- they love to criticize? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially those critics. Airwolf, Airwolf fans. Yeah. Uh, they say, oh, it's, it, it, he sounds like that, that's, that character sounds like Chief. Like when I did uh, Larry Blackman, it's like that character sounds like Chief. Like, well, yeah, I kind of sound your voice. like Chief. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I think that's oh, why I do God. it good. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta know your strengths. Yeah. Um, but next week Chief I'm doing rules. Robert Loja. Really? No. Uh, you should. No uh, one does a Loja. <laughs> if you had a Loja, if you had a Loja, you could get on SNL next season. They're <laughs> looking for a Loja. He was like f- killed off on The Sopranos because he didn't remember his lines. Really? Yep. Robert uh, Loja. Look, Uh, did Robert Loja just Zoom bomb us? (laughs) Suddenly I'm podcasting with the Loge himself. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That's like that story. I forget what actor it was. Who's the actor who got fired from like L.A. Law or Homicide because they they took long shits? (laughs) Uh, No, it was Murder One. You're thinking of the TV show Murder One. Yes. His name... Um, was um, Daniel uh, Benzali. Yes. He was the star of the show. Like, it's yes. not like he was a small Number part. one on the call sheet. Do you know this story, Carl? No. The big bald guy. But I love his yeah. shit story. And and he was like, kind of like he'd been around, but this was like his big breakout role. He gets like, you know, whatever, a golden globe, you know, like yeah. he's, he's hot shit. And then he gets written out of the show. The show got canceled after two seasons because it just went downhill. And it, the reason he was always late to set was that he took a giant shit in the morning and was an hour late to work every day because of it. And I want to find, he was like, it was like, he lived in in like, I get up, I have my coffee. Then I would have to wait till I get my morning dump and Bochco, the Steven Bochco is like, just come to work and do it there. And he was like, no, no, I can't do that. I can only do it in my own house, which I get, I get (laughs) it. 
Right. And he, they were like, they were like, I guess we're going to fire you as the star of this hit but show. What I, was what like, I love good. about the story is that when you hear it, it was like months of negotiation where they right. kept on trying to problem solve. And Botchko would be like, okay, what if you just don't drink coffee until you get to set? And he's like, the drive's so long. I need it to stay awake. And it's like, okay, what if you only drink decaf or like a smaller cup and then the rest of it you drink when you arrive? What if we, there was like a thing of like, what if we rent you a hotel room that's halfway between Malibu and the set so you can pull <laughs> over, take a shit, and then come to set. Like, they really tried to solve it every way they could, and then finally he was like, what can I say? I guess that's just a, it's not gonna work <laughs> out. gonna work. Man. I can't be the star of your TV show. My turds come first. Kudos to him for standing strong. I love it. It's my favorite story. I wish that was the every time you hear that an actor was fired because they were difficult to work with, yeah. that, that was always the reason. And that I would also, be great. I love that everyone involved was like, look, there were no hard feelings. We just we couldn't square this circle. It was I think there were some hard feelings. No, people, people. I mean, look, there might have been some soft bowel movements, but no hard feelings. <sighs> All right. Look, OK, what, happens what I was going to say, the breakup scene, the breakup scene, right? You have the the confrontation on the bench when he tries to like tell her I I could really use the support right now and she goes to sleep because she has to respect her few and then the next night there's the party scene and he Mm -hmm. shows up really drunk. He's so fucking mean. Right. Really mean, really drunk, dismissive of her and then when she finally tries to break through to him then he starts getting like overly sexual with her in front of everybody. So she sort of pushes yeah. him away. And then there's the scene in the dorm room yeah, where he shows up with another girl and then acts like, what? What's wrong? Like, what's the problem? Right. And that was another and- scene that they apparently argued over a bunch because she was like, why isn't she screaming? Why doesn't she break down crying? Why doesn't right. she like go to her own door and like close the door behind her? She and reacts slide down in it? character. Totally. Like, this is a very contained performance. Like she's just not this kind of person who's going to let herself be vulnerable in that way. And the like, other thing the executives asked her was like, why doesn't she attack the other girl that he's bringing? What? Sure. Yeah. And, and Gina Prince, like to her credit was like, these movies always fucking make it this thing where it's a competition right. between you could just the see women. New line being like, so wh- why isn't there a, um, a cat fight right. in this moment? I, 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 that's what I'm imagining. They literally wanted her to slap the other woman. Right, and she was right, like, it's right, not right. about her. Like that. She's not the problem here. The problem is that he's doing this to her and she's so sort of like blindsided by it that she doesn't even know how to react in the moment. That's such a good scene because she includes that nasty little button of the, Monica the walks out and it. the guys yeah. laugh. And it's like, why the fuck are you laughing? Except that you just feel awkward. Like, I guess yeah. is the reason. But it's so it's so awful that they laugh. And she doesn't even see it. It's just for us to see. That's crazy. Right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then but then. But yeah, fourth quarter. I really love this because it does feel again like a really realistic basketball. We should say they finally like, have a breakup, but it's like their breakup has yeah, happened in like four chunks, but they finally yeah, have yeah, yeah. the real conversation. But like when we jump forward, she's in Barcelona. She's playing for um, in the EuroLeague, basically. So crazy fact, she assumed they wouldn't be able to film in Barcelona that they, would they just obviously have to did because it. it's got all that great location stuff. Do you know how they did? I uh, know uh, because they had cast Tyra Banks. Right. Uh, Virgin Airlines had offered to pay to fly everyone out to Barcelona in exchange for Tyra Banks wearing a Virgin Airlines outfit 
because her character was a stewardess and they thought it would be good promotion for them. Wow. That's beautiful. Even though Tyra Banks is the character you want out of the I movie. Know. I know, but that's You're the, like, she was like, here. that's the only reason we got to go to Barcelona. I had never budgeted that's for so it. Wild. I assumed we couldn't do it. And then Virgin Airlines came in and said, we heard you have Tyra Banks. We heard she's getting into acting. Is there any way we can have her be a Virgin I, Airlines stewardess? I, I in the love movie? the Barcelona stuff. I love it when she's like sitting on the balcony. Like, I love that it really feels like she's in a completely foreign place. Like that it's kind of yes. cool, but she can't even enjoy it because it's so weird and she's so lonely. Like, and that she's that like signing scene, autographs for those kids in front of posters of yeah. herself, but the posters are already kind of falling down. And they're in Spanish. And like that right. opening scene where the coach is giving this impassioned speech, but like she doesn't even really know what he's saying. And it no. turns out he was just saying like, look, just give the ball to Monica. And there are no <laughs> subtitles. And the scene goes on for so long. Like you keep yeah. on waiting for him to translate himself and he never does until the very end and then he's just sort of dismissive and that woman says on the team like, just get the ball to monica yeah yeah i like and, and then she runs into uh her old rival from usc like all that stuff it just it all feels so natural just like quincy becoming a shitty role player who has obviously been traded three times and like maybe is a three and d guy like carl what do you think his ceiling is he like takes a three well first of all omar epps is five ten He's not a tall man. Yeah. I mean, he's a regular sized person. Uh, well, I, I think that it was just, uh, that's kind of what, what, what Griffin has been talking about this whole time of, of their two ceilings and how she is still like, because of all the work that she's put in all those years, she's still like killing it in a, in Europe. And he's just like, yeah, he made it to the league, but he's not going to be in the league very long. Like, right. It also feels like his heart's not in it. Like yeah. from the moment he yeah. finds out about his dad, he feels so right, disillusioned with life. Right. And I think he kind of resents the NBA for his parents' relationship. Like he views right. it as like, if my father were not successful, if he didn't have women like bar- banging down his doors in hotel rooms and stuff, my family would have been happy. So it feels like right. he's very cynically playing major league basketball because he feels like he's supposed to right like and i would say this is more her movie like it's an incredible performance and she is kind of the big but he's good he's very and he is good at playing that kind of sullenness like you know Mm -hmm. without without having to go too big you're like right he still made the nba even though he kind of doesn't give that much of a shit anymore like he was on such a guaranteed pathway yeah, but he's like Patrick Ewing Jr. or whatever, where you're just like, mm. yeah, you're just, just here because your dad's famous. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. you're deep on the bench, do you still get paid well? No. League I mean, ma- you, it I depends mean, on your contract. Yeah, league minimum is like 650000 or something. Or you might be like uh, or you know, Joakim Noah or whatever, where like you are riding the bench because you're no good anymore, but you're still like, you know, you signed a huge contract back when you were still pretty good. I don't know. Oh, a rookie in the NBA makes a minimum of $893,000 to play. In yeah, wow, I think okay. it went up. It went up. I mean, and one yeah. assumes he was drafted in the first round, right? Like, I don't know. He's probably making like a million a year. For, Maybe not 90, the 90s. 90, not yet. For $893,000 right. $893, a year, I, you ain't never got to play me. <laughs> <laughs> you would do like the thing where you, you just have like complicated handshakes with every this. player. I'm, right. I'm just standing. I'm holding people back. I'm doing the whole back when somebody right, dunks. Doing the whole Man, back. please. Three. Can you? Three. Yeah. Can you? You're like up? holding up. You're holding up the three anytime anyone's in the corner. Ooh. Yeah. I'm talking shit to the other players. You're doing yeah, advanced towel work. Oh like, man. Making money. 
if you are going on the court, your job is that you are fouling someone. Like yeah. You're only going. Yeah. I'm like looking at the women in the first couple of roles being like, okay, <laughs> listen, listen, we're at the four seasons. We're at the four <laughs> seasons. You're the opposite of uh, Dennis Haysbert. You're telling them exactly oh, where yeah. you're staying. Yeah, I giving am, them directions. I am on the fourth floor. Asked to see Robert Loja. That's who I am booked <laughs> at this hotel as. Can you guys guess what the uh, maximum salary is? The maximum salary 2020 in the WNBA. Oh, boy. The max salary in the WNBA. I'm going to say it's uh, $230,000. Overshot it two fifteen. <sighs> wow! Yeah, and I that was a, around a significant bump only this year. Yeah, from one hundred seventeen. They just signed a new CBA, right? Yeah, maximum maximums one hundred seventeen, as you said, versus being paid like a little under a million to ride the bench and in the NBA. Also, those because those women have to play year round. So they finish their WNBA season and then they go overseas still to this yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them get like uh, Brianna Stewart, who's like one of the top players in the league, can't stay right. healthy. And it's because right. she's constantly she has to play playing too much. basketball. I know. It's so crazy. Well, and also it's like so, so many to these people, so many male athletes after they retire, it's like, okay, you have for many of them this short shelf life, but then you get to open a restaurant or you get to be a real estate broker. You get to be or something you, where you're or kind you get of, to go on TV sure. or you get to be a coach. Like you can, you know, but go I'm, into but the I'm NBA coaching ranks. Even, yeah. even the less shiny. Right. Right. You careers, can cash in on your celebrity. Probably. You're still right, sort of front facing. It's right, still your right, name. Right. It's still like, look, it's my name. It's my face. It's this and that. Even like the real estate shit where so many of them go into that. It's like, for that reason, she ends up working at a fucking bank, you know, yeah, yeah. it's just like her well, dad's now, bank. I know it's like, now you just have to, sit at a desk like even if as you said Carl you're being paid the maximum salary which is $200,000 a year but also you're playing in Europe in the off seasons when your career ends you're not able to capitalize upon it even in the way that the lowest level NBA player could yeah let's renounce our male privilege guys I I already did I'm never gonna play basketball (laughs) the WNBA is inarguably like the biggest success in American sports in terms of like an, a women's professional league that is like, you know, on television and mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah. you know, they, the NBA like made way more of a concerted effort on that front than baseball or football has ever done. And nonetheless, you know, it's that, that disparity is so extreme. What I want to talk about is that they play basketball for each other's heart. Let's talk about a high stakes game of basketball, right, guys? Right? It comes, it comes all the way back around. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I don't know. It rules. It's great. It's exactly what you want to happen. No, I like the way all of this plays out. I mean, A, I like the scene where she has the, um, she gets drinks with her formal rival from college. I do like yeah. that shift and like they have so much tension in the second quarter. And now it's like they've both made it. Like they both have gotten where they wanted to get to. Even right, if they're they playing their, on opposite teams apex. now rather than the same team, they're able to casually have drinks and compare stories after that. And the difference of just like, she totally enjoys it. She likes traveling around the world. She likes sleeping with random guys in Europe. Sana Lathan right. seems a little miserable with everything outside of the basketball. Yeah. Like it, the, the basketball is the only thing that Monica's really enjoying. She um, hates sleeping with random guys. She feels like, like it. She feels like it's a part of the job, but she hates it. She gives it a splat tomato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Omar's dick. Um, also, when 
she is going through it because she realizes that he has a fiance. Right. I like how you see the relationship with her mother kind of mm-hmm. go to this new place. Yes. That's a really crucial scene, that right? The so sort good. of like not exactly showdown, but the kind of reckoning with her mom where it's like both, both of them are sort of like realizing like we were really like misjudging each other's love for each other when we were, when, when I was a teenager, you know, when, when Monica was young. I also think like the fact that she, Tyra Banks, the, the fiance is a, a flight attendant. It, they talk mm. about in the commentary. That's the idea that it's like, here's someone who's traveling as much as he is. Right, right. Who has a similarly as he is. right, right, right. flaky they, lifestyle. Like, yeah. how often are they syncing up in the same place at the same time? He's able. They're to just have two this hotties, sort of, right? That's the thing. She said, like, it's like he has a fiance who's like a trophy. Like, she seems like a very nice woman. She's incredibly right. beautiful, and he probably doesn't have to spend that much time with her. Put in the work in the relationship. And her name is pronounced Kira, not Kyra, because Tyra Banks demanded that the character not have a name that rhymed with her name. Okay, but I just. I love that she's not like an just asshole. Say, just letting you know. I love yeah, that she's, she's not, not an asshole. She's, yeah. she's like an obstacle, like at worst, right? Like she's, you're just like, no, this isn't going to work superficial out. Like, this is not how this movie is working out. Yeah. Right? She, yeah. She's an obstacle illusion. She's an obstacle <laughs> illusion. Very well said. I make sure that every part I play, the character's not name is Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> That's your first question yeah. when they offer you a role. Yeah. Laurel. Who am I playing in this? Laurel? <laughs> Borrow? Absolutely no. not. No, 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 no. You were you supposed to. Borrell. You were supposed to be in the Laurel and Hardy biopic, and it was too close for comfort. Yeah, for you, I right? said no. I can't do it because I have it a was southern be accent. You and John C. Riley. Yeah, I, I have a southern accent. So when I say that name, I say Laurel, and it's you sounds, put a drawl. You put a drawl on Laurel. Yeah, that well, becomes Laurel. Laurel. <laughs> um. When they play the one-on-one game, it is a little bit like that meme where Omar Epps is like, all right, let's play basketball. And then like starts like, you know, he's not, he's not really playing for her heart. Like he's just trying to beat her. Yeah. You know, there, and it's that him kind of like working out that, I feel like that anger of, of over, you know, how things went wrong for them. But isn't that like the thing that drew them to each other so much in the first place was that they both were such like passionate, focused people. Like it right. wouldn't be romantic if they were playing a flirty game rather than playing their hardest. And it's also nice that even though he's been playing in the NBA, like this is the first game he's played probably since getting injured. Like you see him at the beginning of the game be kind of rusty and have to loosen up. Um, right. And but then, of course, right. The little twist is that even though he wins, he's like, you know, two out of three because, you know, obviously he does want to be with her. And it's then great. you get, you get a cool. little flash forward where she's playing in the NBA she, and he's sitting she's in the WNBA. She's on the Sparks. Yeah. Uh, did you guys watch until after the credits? You, you see your daughter playing in the playground. You see her daughter get a, get a bucket. This is, I mean, I pitched Gina on a sequel when yeah. I interviewed her because like it's been 20 years. Yeah. Everyone in this movie is famous. Yeah. Like, you know, get them all back. And then have it be about their daughter, right? Like, it's such an obvious... There's so many things you could do. I mean, she told me, like, no way, but uh, maybe, I thought maybe, it was a good pitch. Maybe replace Omar Epps with Wesley Snipes. Oh, just as, like, a little meta to thing. To even things out. But Wesley Snipes is, like, 10 years yeah. older than Omar Epps, <laughs> too, which is one reason that it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy in Major League 2, and it's like, <laughs> do you find a fucking fountain of youth? <laughs> you just lost a cool decade, man. 
Um, like, but like, don't, you know, don't, like she was, I mean, she gave me a nice answer, which is essentially like, go fuck I yourself. don't think <laughs> she was like, if you fucking talk to me like this again, I'll kill you. No, no. She was like, she really thinks like the movie's pretty unspoilable and I worry that I would ruin it. Like, you know, like the every, like the That's movie nice ends answer. so yeah. well, it's such a nice contained story. Like I, I almost just want to leave it alone, but she knows, I mean, she gets that it has it was not a huge hit when it came out. It wasn't like a flop or anything, but like yeah. it did not like overperform and it just had like such an insanely long tail. Well, as Carl said, it was like huge home video movie, huge TV movie. Soundtrack was a huge seller. And like by two or three years later, people were already sort of heralding it as like, this is the most, one of the most underrated movies of the last however right, many years. You read the reviews and they're all kind of like, oh yeah, it's okay. And I think it's because the movie's understated. Like they just didn't, know what to do with it. Like, yeah. I think, you know, probably critics are just going in and expecting like more of a really brassy sports movie or like, I don't, I don't know exactly, but like it's, it's a, cause it's a black movie. Like people immediately write huge those part off. of it. Like huge part of it. Yeah. P- people immediately go, Oh, this is not for me. It's not for me. And it's like, just watch a good movie. Especially in 2000. Like, I think it's just unassailably true. Like yeah. so many critics are just like, Oh, this isn't something I need to take serious. Yeah. Like, it's un- it's unfortunate. Like, you know, I mean, it won the independent spirit award yeah. for best first screenplay. Like it, it's her, and it, I played at Sundance and it was kind of a big, it was really well received. It's like, so it's not like it was absolutely ignored, but I do feel like it was not quite given its due. No, no but it also it, it grew very quickly. Yeah. You know, uh, entertainment weekly did an issue that was like the 25 best movies you haven't seen. And it was only like a year later. And they put this on it. And I think it was the most recent release they had put on it. I feel like everyone in the media very quickly was like, we fucked this one up. We should have given this one more attention. Um, I do think you're right, Carl, that it is like in the same way that I think the ratings board was freaked out because like you're seeing that kind of intimacy, especially with black actors was like a new thing for them. And I think for critics, they didn't know how to process it because they were so used to seeing like films with black leads be a very limited type of thing. Yeah. Those three movies we're talking about best man, the wood and, uh, love and basketball really start to like redefine that a little bit. I feel like that's very much a sea change. I'm trying to find this quote here, uh, that is really aggravating. Um, but David, maybe pull up the box office while I find it. Uh, I've got the box office ready for you. This movie came out April 21st in the year 2000. So Carl, I have a broken brain and my version of sports stats is that I remember, uh, almost every box office weekend. Damn, that's tight. So I try to guess this was my equivalent. My father would do the sports scores with my brother and then he would flip to the other section of the newspaper and do the, the box office top 10 with me. Um, and, uh, the movie made 27 million domestic and basically nothing internationally, which, you know, because it basically wasn't sold internationally. Yeah. Gina, when I interviewed her said the old guard, the Netflix movie is her first movie that will really play internationally. Crazy. Like all three of her other films, secret life of bees beyond the lights, like have just never like this, the studios just didn't even bother to sell them. Yeah. If that, you know, like uh, sell the international rights. Cause you know, movies with black actors don't, Sell was always and, the, and then yeah, also movies about line. American sports on top of that. I mean, this yeah. movie well, that's sort true of was for this like one, right, it. right, right. But then, but like you, you know, like Beyond the Lights was not re- released yeah. internationally. So this movie did pretty well, uh, but not huge. I think it made twenty seven on a twenty mm-hmm. budget and probably 
killed on home video. Like, yeah. you know. Um, but number one that week, it opens at number two. Griffin, number one that week is oh shit, we just did it in a box office game. Give um, me the weekend again. April twenty first, two thousand. Uh it's a war movie. Um U five seven one? Yeah. Damn, yeah. dog. And you know what's crazy about yeah. that? What? I don't know that much about sports. <laughs> You're saying you would be able right. to. You're, if I was like, hey, Carl, who was like leading in the Atlantic division in April 2000? Like, yo, you know, like, well, you know, what was the Clippers record in 1982? Man, I, I, I might know a little bit of that, but that's because I just read books and kind of can remember facts every now and then. But I right. would not know what the Clippers were doing the April 21st, 1982. Like a specific weekend. Look, I've said this before. It's not a joke. I could probably identify five states on a U.S. map. Visually, <laughs> I'm guessing I would top out at five. There are so many basic things that I don't know. And I remember what U571, it opened to like 16. It opened to $19 million. Okay. Damn. Uh, submarine movie. I've seen it once. I remember it having cool sound design. You know, I, I remember, I remember that Greeks. It's a decent movie. I remember going to see it and finding it too stressful and walking out and into a different movie. And now I'm trying to think what movie I must have into. It is a stressful into. movie. It's definitely stressful. Just, well, like, maybe the, we'll hear the, about it. Yeah, the wind up was was, was Harry Potter out. out then. Harry Potter comes out 2001. Okay, mm-hmm. I know I was yeah. in the fifth grade when that came out. Uh, right, right, right. Um, yeah, I was. I was 14 when this movie came out. Um, yeah, it was fifth grade for this. Yeah. Number two is Love and Basketball. Number three is a war what, what movie. What did it open it to? Been, uh, Love and Basketball opened to $8 million. Okay. Damn. Um, and that was all me. Is <laughs> You went you 8 just, million times at a dollar theater. <laughs> at a dollar theater. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a war movie. Uh, it was number one the week before. We kind of doesn't exist. We were soldiers. Not we were no, soldiers. Later. Not we were that's soldiers. Later. Um, big director, but he is Enemy near the, the end of his career. No. <sighs> Fuck. That's another good guess, though. Rules of, of engagement? Like, that, rules there of engagement. Go. You gotta follow the Sam, rules. Samuel Jackson, Tommy Lee Jones, Guy Pierce. William Friedkin? Uh, it's a w- William Friedkin yeah, movie. Doesn't director exist. Director of The Exorcist. Doesn't exist. Kind of. Kind of doesn't exist. Have you seen Rules of Engagement, Carl? No. No. It's uh, some sort of true story movie. I don't know what it's about. Thank you all for having me on your movie podcast, but I have to tell you something. I don't watch movies like that. Hey, That's fair. Movies are long. So you must be um, loving Quibi, Carl. Are you just <laughs> eating that shit up? Quick bites. Quick bites. Taking a ton of quick bites. You like bites. a quick bite. Yeah. Uh, Carl, you might not know this, but I am the founder and CEO of Quibi. So oh, thank you for right. watching. Quibi. I won't, I won't been disparage a, you. A rough couple thank of you months. for the candy yeah. in the office. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, of course, I sent candy to every office. I thought it'd be a great strategy to Quibi it up. They have a wall of candy at the Quibi offices. That's and crazy. They go have some candy. That's nice. Take advantage of this huge candy wall. And I think because <laughs> of COVID now, we're not going to be able to do candy wall anymore. Can I Damn, ask you? The candy wall is just rotting. <laughs> I assume. I assume the candy that uh, Quibi offers is only like fun size, like mini, like fun size bars. Yeah, is many, right? many, many fun yeah. size bars, but it's a full wall of everything. Like, so you yeah, get. If anyone things. brings a king size Twix yeah. in or no, whatever, we, we throw it out the window. They get yeah, me with exactly. a golf club. And do they? <laughs> Do they serve you uh, La Croix in like the little like cap that they give you at the doctor to swallow cough syrup? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a it's a uh, they say drink this and remember it's of Quibi and yeah. they pour it into <laughs> so, 
Yeah. It's a Kwaisai. It's yeah. a quick sip. The body of Kwaisai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The body of Kwaisai. Thank you. Um, speaking of drinking, mm-hmm. number four at the box office, Griffin. Uh, it's in its second week. It's made $7 million. It's a rehab drama. 28 days. 28 days. That's easy to narrow Sandra, down. There are not many Sandra rehab Bullock. dramas. Yeah. Sandra Bullock goes to rehab. Meet Steve Buscemi. And Viggo Mortensen. See, yeah. I, I would have said Girl Interrupted. That's a that's sort of, that's a you mental institution movie, but yeah, sure. Take one more step and I'm going to jam this in my aorta. Your aorta's in your chest. Remember Have that? Have you ever Great thought one? about doing Whoopi? <laughs> no. I've thought about it. That's when I got a master. They, I mean, but you, I, the, you, you had the, when you said chest like that, that's yeah. sort of, you know, she has this kind of bass, you know, that, that kind of like yeah. her voice can go really deep. And here's why I know that because I've seen the commercial a million times because I watch a ton of TV. Mm. Right. But I just wasn't a huge movie guy, but I just remember take one more step. I'm a Janice in my aorta. Aorta's in your chest. David and I often invoke, uh, we are duly appointed federal marshals. We are duly appointed <laughs> yeah. federal marshals. From the Shutter Island commercial. Anything like that where you just hear the one line over and over again for yeah. nine months. Uh, <laughs> David and I will continue to do for a decade after that. God, there's some trailers. Yeah. All right. Number five at the box office is, and these movies are all making like eight, seven to $8 million. Yeah. It's a very even box office. Mm-hmm. Um, is a romantic comedy. I recently rewatched it. It's pretty good. Hmm. Kind of similar to Love and Basketball in that it is like a big generational, like, you know, it's like uh, charting a relationship from when they're kids to when they're grown ups, but it's like a trio. I'm wondering if this is what I snuck into after leaving U571. Does this feel like a movie that 10 or 11 year old Griffin would want to see? Probably yes, because it has a comedy star who you probably liked. Has three people. Oh, oh, is it keeping the faith? Keeping the faith. Edward Norton, Ben Stiller, Jenna Elfman, directed by Edward Norton. Inexplicably. It's a classic rabbi priest sex comedy. About all my brother's favorite movies were sports movies, almost specifically basketball movies. Keeping the Faith, weirdly, my brother loved so much, we saw it twice in theaters. He was mm. seven at the time. And then the and that following year, it's long. The following year, my brother's birthday party was a sleepover where they watched Keeping the Faith on VHS. It was well, a bunch weird. of eight-year-old boys watching Keeping the Faith. <laughs> uh, it is one of Forky's favorite movies, one of my fiance's favorite movies. Wow. She I loves, like that movie. I mean, Forky loves uh, Edward Norton. Yeah. Thinks Edward Norton is the cutest, which He's I kind of snackable. Never that understood. Movie. Who does more snackable in that movie? Yeah, I guess so. I like Edward Norton in the people versus Larry Flint. Oh, he's so good in that. Oh, he's yeah. He's great in that. Was that the top five? That's the top five. You've also got Aaron Brockovich. Big summer hit mm-hmm. spring hit. Uh, you've got the road to El Dorado. Mm-hmm. Another uh, animated, not classic. El Dorado. Um, right. Um, you've got Return to Me, the Bonnie Hunt movie. Yes. Man, none of these movies would exist anymore. No. You probably stuck in El Dorado. No, because I definitely, I made a point. I, I bought a ticket for El Dorado. I remember dragging my dad to El Dorado and him resenting it. U571 I saw by myself. Okay. Well, you probably weren't sneaking into Final Destination. No. Because that's even more stressful. Were you sneaking into The Skulls? No. The classic secret society at college drama, The Skulls? 
No, like now I'm wondering if there's a holdover movie from like late 99 that I was seeing. Oh, I don't know. I'm just giving you what's in the, you know, you got high fidelity. Uh, you got mm-hmm. um, the underseen teen drama gossip mm-hmm. with uh, James Marsden and Joshua Jackson. Uh, you've got uh, Romeo Must Die with Aaliyah and Jet Li. Look, I saw Remember most that? of these movies in theaters. I saw Romeo Must Die in theaters. I'm inclined to say, looking at the box office here, there's a decent chance I snuck in to see Toy Story 2 again. Toy sure, Story 2 is enough. still playing on 516 screens Do you remember at this point. In Romeo Must Die, they would like you he, Jet Li would kick someone and it would go to like an X-ray and you would see him like breaking their bones. Yeah, you had like Jet Li vision. Yeah, it was cool. Do you remember in Romeo Must Die when the guy says, Sorry, Romeo, but you gotta die? <laughs> in case you didn't get it. And, and then the credits started to roll. You never see whether he dies or not. Yeah. It's like they were hoping, they were really banking on being able to make a sequel or at least a quibby. It's so just weird that they the were like, we're going to make, we're going to make a martial arts movie. That's an adaptation of Romeo must die about Romeo an African American Romeo and Juliet. Sorry about African American and Chinese gangs, like, yes. you know, doing martial arts together. And it's directed by a Polish cinematographer. Everything about that movie is insane. <laughs> it's so weird. Rest in peace, Aaliyah. Yep. Um, but that's it. That's the box office. We did it. That's the love and basketball box office game. Uh, yeah, just just a, a great movie, done. like a perfect little movie. I found the quote I was looking for. I was trying to find this special that she did. The first thing she directed. Uh, what about your friends that uh, Gina did? She uh, directed the sounds- what about the video, the music video for TLC? No, it's like a CBS. See, this is the problem. I was looking for the special and the results kept on being the TLC video. Oh, this was like a CBS TV special that's three high school friends talking about their future and predicting what the rest of their lives are going to be like. And it's uh, Lark Voorhees, Monica Calhoun, and Melinda Williams. Um, and it's about them heading off to UCLA. Uh, and I can't find it anywhere. It looks like it was released on VHS or DVD at some point. It was like very high rated and it seems to have been popular. I feel uh, like that was released- on UPN. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, there's this line in the review. It's it, what you were saying, Carl, about how like people didn't take this movie seriously at the time because they dismissed it as a black movie. They weren't thinking of it as a romance or a character-based story or anything else like that. Like that was viewed as the genre. This review from Variety of the special says, uh, director-writer Gina Price's storyline, sweet and endearing in itself to be sure and nicely paced, has no particular ethnic relevance. What what does that mean? Like what he's saying is I don't understand this movie. Why is it being told with black characters? Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Which is like a crazy thing to read in a review from 1995. But I yeah. do think if we're going to spend the next month talking about her movies, and I think none of her movies have sort of been recognized in their time to the degree that they should have, that's sort of a recurring thing of her getting pigeonholed. Yeah. Or people like taking too long to eventually see her films because they view them as something else. And the idea of what they're viewed as is stupid. Golly. That's the Um, way of the world, boys. That's how the cookie crumbles, boys. That's that's how the cookie crumbles. Um, And I will say, Griffin, when I was talking to her, I kind of floated the narrative of like, you haven't gotten to make enough movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because her career is kind of, you know, she makes a movie like every 
sort of six to eight years. Like it's yeah. not, you know, every couple of years. And she kind of slapped it down where she was like, I've gotten a lot of movie offers that I did not want to do. Like I really just only make a movie if I want to make a movie. Um, she's like, it's a lot for me to do a movie. Like I've got kids. I have like a whole life I'm working, you know, like, and it's sort of what you're talking about with her script for mm-hmm. this, where she was like, maybe it needs another year. I think she like really, really tries to hone her whole, like the script of the project she's working on so perfectly so that it's like absolutely ready to go when she's going to give it a green light. It's, it's sort of fascinating. She's a very deliberate artist. Yeah. And speaking of deliberate artists, Carl Tart. And she has a very interesting arc that we're going to get into, but yes, Carl Tart. Carl Tart, thank you so much for being on the show. Listen, thank you for having me. Boy, y'all go long, don't you? We go long. We go long. We're <laughs> sorry, we go long. God, Carl. He didn't warn you. They didn't Carl, tell me. this is maybe the shortest episode we've ever That's done. That's wild. And That's that is not so- true. We're gone like two and a half hours, Griffin. And y'all do this weekly? Yeah. <laughs> Holy Telling shit. Telling me. And, uh, and we have a Patreon. We essentially do two a week. Listen, man, I love it. I had, a, I had such a great time talking about this movie. I haven't been able to talk about this movie in this much depth ever in my life with like other people that aren't my mom <laughs> or my friends. Like, I, like, not that you guys aren't friends because we're all friends now, we're, baby. We're working towards it. We're working towards it. But yeah. I appreciate you for having me. And thank you so much. Well, I, I came Thank on Flager once to talk about draft day and then you and I were messaging back and forth afterwards about other sports movies. Yeah. You were asking me about like Slapshot, which I said, of course I've seen. I have to uh, uh, respect and support all of my fellow cinematic Newmans. Um, but then we were like scheduling this episode and I realized like, oh, I think David was the one who suggested like, if you've been talking about sports movies with Carl, you should see if he likes Love and Basketball. Yeah, man. You did it right. Yeah. When you, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, hell yeah. I'm all about this shit. I am here for this. And, well, and thank you for ho- being here. Hopefully, soon to be on the NBA Celebrity All Star game. Man. Absolutely. That would be dope. Let's put it out into the universe. I, on the other hand, will never play in the NBA. And that's a promise. That's a promise I'm making publicly. <laughs> Uh, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Andrew Gudo for co-producing this show. Rachel Jacobs for editing help. Thanks to Lee Montgomery for a theme song. Joe Bone and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Go to uh, patreon.com backslash blank check for blank check special features. Uh, we're going to be doing an episode on disappearing acts starring Carl's right. mother. <laughs> I have That's to right. call her and see what part she played. Should we do that now? Yep. Should we do it on the air? <laughs> it's your call. This it's your is call. Totally your call. You can tell us later. Whatever you feel most comfortable doing, Carl. Um, but yes, a, a Carl's mom, Sana Lathan, uh, Wesley Snipes vehicle. Oh, here we go. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. This is good content. Phone is ringing. She saw it was you, and she was like, eh. "Yeah." Straight to voicemail. She can tell oh, these wait. are peak podcasting hours. Mom. Huh? Are you, Ma, can you, can you answer a question for me right now? You're currently live on the radio. Can you answer what part you played in the movie Disappearing Acts? Disappearing Acts? Yeah, weren't you in that movie? No. Uh, what? You talking about with, with Wesley Snipes and Sonata Lathan? Yeah, weren't you in that? No, I was not in that one. Which one I was, wish. Which one were you in at, around that time? Now I look like a fraud. Live on the radio. <laughs> Oh my goodness. No, it's okay. 
which one? Of, which movie are you looking for? Maybe it was. What was the movie you was in with Angela Bassett? What movie was that? Oh, Strange Days. Strange Days. Day? Why do we used to talk about disappearing next? Did You're you, in did Strange you, Days. She's yeah. in Strange. We love Strange yeah, Days. That's yes. one of our favorite movies. She can't hear you guys. They, uh, okay. but yes, they they love Strange Days. Uh, so they may have seen you in Strange Days. But disappearing next. Did you have it on tape or something? Yeah, I had disappearing next on tape. Okay, that's what it was. That's what it was. Right. All right. Okay, yeah, I'll call you back. Um, Romy and Michelle, that's probably a popular one that they like. You know, I don't know. Yeah, Romy oh, and Michelle. Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. She was in that. Uh, all right, I'll call you back, Ma. Okay. All right. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Shout out to your mom, just in general, for owning Disappearing Acts on VHS and all. <laughs> yeah. But like, she's in Strange Days is one of the Strange Days is the like ultimate w- one of movies. our biggest episodes ever. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. was in that. <laughs> Huge. Wait, Huge. what's your mom's name? Her name's <laughs> Bleep my mom's name, please. <laughs> yeah, we'll okay. Bleep I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, your mom is, of course, Juliette Lewis in the film Strange Days. Yes, my mom is Juliette Lewis. <laughs> right. I also love that you were confusing which mo- movies your mom owned with which movie she acted Because <laughs> I was so young back then. I didn't like. Yeah, yeah. Right. You just assume like, oh, if it's on the shelf, she's probably in it. Yeah. She's probably in it. Oh, man. That's awesome. Well, Carl, thank you again for being on the show. Thank and you thank your me. mom for being on the show anonymously. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, and tune in next week for The Secret Life of Bees. That's right. And, and as always. I am officially retired from the NBA. <laughs> <laughs>